Halloween month, we thought it'd be interesting to draw a parallel between two movies that are very different but come from a pretty similar set of archetypes. The Victorian era Penny Dreadful was a British version of the serial literature that would become popular as the dime store novels in early 20th century America. It was one of the earliest versions of mass-produced pop culture. Often sold at executions, these were sensationalist stories which came in weekly parts for a penny. One such Penny Dreadful series was The String of Pearls. The String of Pearls was the story of Sweeney Todd, a crazed barber on Fleet Street who cut his customers with a straight razor. That is, if they didn't die from falling through the revolving trapdoor under his barber chair and breaking their necks. <laughs> At some point, this reversed, with Sweeney Todd first cutting them and then putting them through the revolving door. Honestly, so much easier. He gave the corpses to his neighbor, Mrs. Lovett, who baked them into meat pies. This cereal ran from 1846 to 1847 originally. Other Penny Dreadful characters included Spring-Heeled Jack, a demon-like creature who terrorized the streets of London, grabbing women and clawing them up. This urban legend caused a mass panic, first in the 1830s and 1840s, as people in London and then Northern England swore they saw Spring-Heeled Jack. These urban legends, ghost stories, and sensationalist literature were common in a quickly industrializing and extremely unequal Victorian society. Spring-Heeled Jack supposedly returned in 1870 and 1888, which happened to be the same year another Jack began terrorizing the streets of London. <laughs> what do you promise you? Money? Lots of money? For you to become a doctor, was it? Well, he's laughing at you. Because now you're gonna hang. Jack the Ripper quickly became an international celebrity after five murders, the canonical five, occurred in London's Whitechapel district in 1888. Starting in August, women, most of whom were sex workers, began being found in Whitechapel disemboweled, brutally cut into pieces, and left for police to find. Police flooded the streets of Whitechapel in London's East End. The story went international when a letter was found signed Jack the Ripper, which said, among other things, I'm down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them until I get buckled. This and a second letter, which both began Dear Boss, led to a flood of letters, many of which were probably faked by newspapermen trying to get in on the story. And that's kind of the point of a lot of this. The line between real and fake gets blurred in a rush to try to bolster these urban legends. And it goes by the name of London. Two of the movies we are exploring this month come directly out of this period of sensationalist 19th century Britain. Starting tonight with Tim Burton, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street, and continuing on October 17th with Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy, a modern take on the Jack the Ripper murders. The Jack the Ripper idea appears throughout Hitchcock's work, starting with his feature film The Lodger in 1927 and arguably continuing with Psycho in 1960. Frenzy and Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street, both grab up these 19th century archetypes that will be fun to explore in spooky October. Sweeney Todd, of course, is a wholly fictional character created for the Penny Dreadfuls. However, the story did come from older urban legends, as Charles Dickens referenced those preparers of cannibalistic pastry in Martin Chuzzlewit. <laughs> 
Within a year of the serialization, George Dibden Pitt had created the play The String of Pearls or The Fiend of Fleet Street for the Britannia Theater. Pitt added a catchphrase, I'll polish him off. Then Edward Lloyd, the original publisher of the People's Periodical that published the first serialization, published a longer 92-episode serialization from 1847 to 1848. So the original serialization, the play, and then the longer version all came within two years. That's how popular Sweeney Todd had become. The book was plagiarized and adapted in America as Sweeney Todd or the Ruffian Barber. And then it was once again adapted in 1865 and 1875 as it was turned into a play and then a book of the play. In 1936, George King adapted the George Dibden Pitt play into Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, a movie starring British horror star Todd Slaughter. Oh, what a beautiful knife. That's the knife that Mrs. Lovett used in her pie shop before I polished her off. <laughs> and this is the pistol with which I shot Mariah Martin. In 1973, the British playwright Christopher Bond turned Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, into a modern play. Bond decided to give Sweeney Todd a more sympathetic backstory, naming him Benjamin Barker, a barber who was thrown into an Australian penal colony for 15 years on trumped-up charges by Judge Turpin, who raped his wife and stole his daughter. He returns to Fleet Street as Sweeney Todd, swearing to get revenge first on Turpin and then on humanity itself. This is when Stephen Sondheim, Harold Prince, and Arthur Lawrence, whose name you might remember from our Rope episode last month, decided to adapt Bond's play into a musical. Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street, the new Stephen Sondheim, Harold Prince musical thriller starring Angela Lansbury. And Glenn Perry. Sondheim was a big fan of Christopher Bond's play, and believed that the music would heighten the drama. It opened starring Len Carew and Angela Lansbury in 1979 on Broadway, and then London's West End in 1980. British audiences, who I'm sure had seen every iteration of Sweeney Todd, were largely unenthusiastic, but American audiences loved it. Tim Burton actually had come to me about 20 years ago. He was a big fan of the piece. He'd seen it in London. It, it was not a success in London, the first go-round. It has been since, but the very first time it was done in London, they didn't like it. Sondheim's play was also shaped by Angela Lansbury, who only agreed to star in it if Mrs. Lovett could get a much bigger music hall role. I, I thought, well, it's certainly something to consider, and they're very enthusiastic. These two, and they obviously they're brilliant. They must have something up their sleeve for, for this show. So, but on the other hand, you know, the old star said, "Hey, wait a minute! This is called uh, Sweeney Todd. How does Mrs. Lovett fit in? You know, <laughs> it's not called Nellie Lovett, the Demon Barber of Sweet Street, Street. It's Sweeney Todd." So I thought, I hope you know, is this a good part? Tim Burton and Helena Bonham Carter were both huge fans of the musical with Tim Burton claiming to have seen the musical 13 times between 1979 and 1980. And so, in 2007, Tim Burton adapted Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, starring who else but Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter as Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett. 
first got together with Tim, he was talking about it and saying that he'd been marinating this idea of the musical. We both, it was one of our talking points. We got something in common. We both love Sweeney Todd, you know, and uh, that's about it though. It was Tim Burton's first live action musical and Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. First time doing a musical on screen. The adaptation, I think, is pretty straightforward. It's not Tim Burton's most creative work, but it's a good adaptation nonetheless. And Tim Burton makes it stylistic and gory while keeping the contained feeling of the stage play. The stage play famously has a revolving and very mobile set with the barber chair having to act as a shoot and filming an adaptation solved many logistical problems while Tim Burton made sure to keep the very contained stage play feeling. The history of the world, my love. Anyway, before I introduce the panel, please like this video and subscribe to the Movie Night Extravaganza YouTube channel. Hit that bell to get notified whenever we're streaming. Also, we are now monetized, so if you have any pressing questions during this live stream, send us a super chat, which helps me keep the show running, and which I am obligated by international law, human rights law, to answer. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash extra. All of our after parties are on there forever. Okay, let me introduce the panel. Conan is currently on tour for the next three weeks on the West Coast. Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends is doing the adult prom tour with Lung. If you're in any of these cities, you can get tickets. To see the dates and venues, go to NeutronFriends.com. KT Baldessaro is an actress, director, and writer who wrote and co-directed and also starred in Girl in the Basement, along with appearing in quite a few horror movies. She's also voice acting in the scripted podcast series, The Starwell Foundation, an audio drama set in the city of superheroes, wherever podcasts are listened to. Jay Andrew World, illustrator, book cover artist, artist for Give Them an Argument, co-host for Movie Night Extravaganza, and Bad Takes. Christina Oaks, this Barbie is streaming on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Cosmopolitics. Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Cosmopolitics. Send her some subs on Twitch. Tim LaFollette is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner and has a TED Talk, Community, The Missing Ingredient to Self-Acceptance, as well as being a performer in countless musicals, a singer in the Portland Opera Course, and doing a solo cabaret entitled Live Your Life. I, of course, am your host, Forrest Miller. I have a magical miracle elixir that will make your hair grow. Okay, don't don't ask why it hasn't worked on me. That's literally a personal question. Andy tried it. I shaved the Pope one time. Ask him. No, not that Pope. The the German one. We need that cricket. Ooh. Oh, fun uh fun fact. Did you guys know that Johnny Depp and Len Carey actually were in a movie together? Really? What movie? Secret Window. All right. Well, welcome to Movie Night Extravaganza. Boom. Okay. Right with the trivia. Um, <laughs> yep. You know me. Immediately in there with trivia. Uh, Tim, welcome back. Thank you. We talked about Chicago. I, was that a year ago? It had to have been like almost a year ago. I think ago, right? so. Yeah. I think so it was like shortly after I moved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, we have KT uh, filling in for Conan for the next three weeks as a permanent co-host and look she's at the top of the screen i've no longer i've no longer gender segregated the screen it's insane all i had to do is bake conan into a meat pie um <laughs> it's fine tim i think you have the best experience for tonight you've done a production of this right yeah yeah so i was in the portland opera chorus in a production of this gosh when was it i want to say it was like 
2016 um, during during the summer. So yeah, and we did use the original the original set. We rented the set that Angela Lansbury had had been on, nice. and so it was kind of interesting. It was like it was a very old school set, but it was kind of cool because it's like you just sort of a, you felt like you're a, a part of history with it. It was definitely very challenging music and um yeah just a very interesting production to to be a part of because we they kept it pretty pretty traditional so yeah, yeah. so it was fun yeah. to watch the movie and see like ooh, what were the parts that were different from the the stage play versus the movie and like i i thought they did a really great job with it as far as like the adaptation to mm -hmm. kind of use the magic of movie making to kind of bring you into the story um, yeah, but well, also I think they've also like kept this movie pretty contained, right? Like, yeah, it feels, yeah. It feels far more like you're watching a stage play than, um, let's say, like Edward Scissorhands, right? Like, which I rewatched yeah. for this for this episode, like, which is a movie that you kind of feel those wide open spaces. This movie doesn't really. I mean, I guess in the beginning when they go into London, but even then, it feels kind of like CGI the, the way that they're going into London on the boat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. When was the first time you guys saw this film? Because I saw it. We had to get our parents permission to see it in the theater. I went with two friends. <laughs> and the whole time when he's, my friend's like, oh my God. And I'm like, this blood is so fake. I can't believe you're scared of this movie. I mean, she desperately wanted to see it. But even then she's still like, I'm scared of that film still. And I'm like, oh, come on, Megan. It's been how many years? It's been like, it's, 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 it's it's been a long time. <laughs> the, the blood, the blood, I think that they used for the movie was like orange because, um, yeah, if you watch them filming it, everybody is in like these really bright colors that they then turned down with the saturation. Yep, uh, they really had to, you know, yeah. yeah. I think I think Burton wanted specifically to make this more bloody than a stage production. Yeah. Although, the stage productions we're still using fake blood, right? Yeah. 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 So. Mean, I, mean, I thought the they did a good job with that as far as like it was a good in between on the on the blood and gore mix of things. It wasn't like I think it was more than what can be accomplished on a stage play. Mm -hmm. um, but it also wasn't like Quentin Tarantino level ridiculousness, you know, or, or uh, you know, just just because it's another musical repo, the genetic opera. Um, and, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. there's an Evil Dead musical that they do give tarps to the first few rows. So, oh yeah, you know they're trying. They're trying I, to get I, the blood in there. Did did they do that with any of the Sweeney Todd? Uh, do you know they've like re they've revived it multiple times? Oh yeah, there's been so many different adaptations. The one that I like is with. But did um, they ever? Did they ever do the tarp? Because they've done that for a bunch of different shows. Like, uh, they, they what give, production? Like, the first the actors had to play their own instruments, which was a 2006 revival, which I thought was interesting, but it was very dark and very modern. And that's why I thought like, oh, Tim Burton's gonna make it, the aesthetics almost like the 2006 revival. But I just was thrown off with the actors having to play their own instruments when the other actors are singing a number. It was very contained, very intimate production too, but I just that's was so distracted by them playing yeah. those instruments. It was a very yeah. I remember seeing. I remember seeing like the touring company of that version, and it was like, it was really spared down. It was like the staging. I want to say it was like they. If you weren't like on stage, you were still on stage, but you were like sitting on a chair in the, yep. in the on yeah. the back. Uh, yeah. So it was like, I remember that being very strange, and it's like, oh, and they're playing while they're, and I think yeah. like. Patty Lapone was in that production, yes. and I think on Broadway, yeah, 
Yeah, I, I feel like, like I feel all like, right. I feel like Company is a better musical to be like that because they've been yeah. so many times as well as a Sondheim show. But when it came to the play, I like what they took away from the actual stage production because they were thinking of doing the the prelude with singing featuring Anthony Stewart Head. But he does have Oh yeah, and Christopher Lee as well. Yes, and he has uh Anthony Stewart Head has a little cameo after the the shaving mm -hmm. competition. Mm -hmm. So, but Which I is, do like that. Hey, just they, just they, so it doesn't get lost in the fray. Uh yeah. we got a super chat from Chris and uh, he says oh, it's his birthday today. So, happy birthday. Happy birthday. And, uh, yeah, happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday. Thanks for the super chat. We'll tell Conan you say hi. Yeah. Um, you know, that's an interesting question because you're saying that they did such an intimate version of it. And whenever I think of it, I often think like, usually opera companies do this, right? You know, like large, yeah. big production houses are going to do a Sweeney Todd. So yeah. that's a very, uh, at least it's new kind of different way to do it. Yeah. And I, I think it's really good that there's so many different films. I mean, we have the one with George Hearn and Angela Lansbury, obviously, to like follow through because I mean, I, that's a good idea, though, to try to get the close to the original stage production as possible to be filmed. But it's been interpreted so many different times. Like the most recent one is with Josh Groban and Ali Ashford. And, mm -hmm. and it, it, it got rave reviews as well. That's great. Groban's great. People are going to yeah. love him no matter what. But notice that the cast is getting younger and younger with each revival. You know, that's kind of interesting because I was reading a trivia fact about the casting of the young characters in this where they yeah. the actress is much older than they wanted, but also the the male character is much younger and is normally played as like a mentally deficient older man. Toby, mm-hmm. That's yeah, he was played by a child, and I was like, "Oh, this is a, it." Hits differently when it's a child because, like, yeah. most of the time, yeah, I see it played by like a twenty-something, um, yeah. and yeah, like that they have some kind of a learning disability or something. So it definitely is a different experience with the child killing yeah. him at the end. You know, like, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and rewatching it, it's like a who's who's been in a Harry Potter film because I remember when they. <laughs> Because, I mean, the only people that weren't in a Harry Potter film were Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, the guy who plays, the kid who plays Toby, and the actress mm -hmm. who plays Joanna, and, you know, the mother, mm -hmm. Lucy. So I was like, but then, of course, Johnny Depp was Grindelwald. And I'm like, this, I'm like, Tim Burton just decided to pick, like, popular Harry Potter actors mm -hmm. and just uh, cast them in. Because <laughs> this was at the, like, almost, like, near the peak of the the popularity of the Harry Potter film. So I was All like, right, so this, so this brings in this clip that I've really been wanting to play. Uh you know, with, with you on here. So this is, they didn't actually hear Johnny Depp um, sing anything before they cast him in this. Yeah. And I, I guess like Johnny Depp started out as a musician, obviously, but like he yeah. wasn't a singer. Like he just- Like a know, rock music, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and he had never sung anything. So they, so Tim Burton like was like, oh, well, I, you know, I want to cast Johnny Depp because he always cast Johnny Depp and everything. But then there was like a, you know, cross your fingers that he actually can sing. Because I mean, Christina, I know you like uh, Cry Baby. Yeah. And- like he sings in that, but it's obviously well, like, yeah, he yeah. lip syncs in that. Yeah. <laughs> Tim came to visit us at our house and uh, he brought me like a CD of Sweeney Todd, you know, the Angela Lansbury, you know, stuff. And uh, he wrote and said, you know, you know, I don't know if you ever heard this, give it a listen, you know. I was, you know, okay, give it a listen. I thought, wow, that's interesting. And then, you know, whatever, you know, five, six years later, you know, the question comes, hey, uh, 
What do you think? You know, you think think you can sing? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Richard and I were talking one day, and this was after probably maybe a couple of months, and like, you know, I mean, I was comfortable. I knew we could do it, but I had nobody had heard, and so we just had this fantasy of like, you know, we start singing, and it's like, oh my god, what the hell is that? We're here at the studio. Sets were being constructed. Wardrobe was being made. Other actors and commitments were being made. Studio, literally, we were spending millions of dollars on the picture. Not one person on earth had heard Johnny sing. And he's the star of the picture. 38's Romeo, take one. You're in a merry mood today, Mr. Tis your catching fire from one man to the next. I think at the end of the day, Stephen Sondheim didn't hear him sing before he had decided that he would accept the fact that Johnny was going to do it. And you just look at Johnny's body of work and you realize that, you know, this is a man who holds himself to the highest possible standards. And we all knew that if he said he could do it, he could do it. It helped to know that, in fact, and it's a little known fact, that he originally came to Los Angeles not as an actor, but as a musician. What I did was I uh, called up an old pal of mine that I had played in bands with for years. In fact, the guy who he was the singer, you know, pretty much the singer, main singer of the band. And uh, he's a recording studio, and I called him and said, uh, you know, I, I got this uh, stuff I'd like to try and sing. Well, singing Sweeney Todd, they say, is like an opera more than Broadway. It's really hard. There's a lot of half steps. There's a lot of, you know, chromatic lines running up. And, you know, neither Johnny nor I can read music. So we were like using our ears and going, what the, what is that? You know, it's pretty funny to see a couple guys out of the rock and roll days trying to figure out this amazing piece of music. But... At the end of the day, it's a song and a singer and a melody, and it could be complicated, but it was fun figuring it out. I would call my friend upstairs who could read music and go, can you come down and tell us exactly what note this is? We went in my place and drank some wine for a bit and smoked a bunch of cigarettes, and then it was like, were you going to do this or what? Just started kind of knocking them down one by one, you know, starting with my friends. That was the first thing I ever sang. Like basically, that was the first song I ever sang in my life. <laughs> you know, that's pretty weird. Honestly, when we did the first take of the first song we did, which is my friends, basically had to talk back. I said, you want the good news or the bad news? He goes, well, give me the bad news. I said, the bad news, you have to do this. One day I was in my office on the phone. Tim bursts in and lays down a little cassette player and his headphones. And I didn't know what I was doing, and he walked out. So I got off the phone and put them on and listened to Johnny sing for the first time. And I just put it down, went into his Tim's office, and we both just stared at each other with great relief. But we had the biggest smiles at each other because we knew we had a, a great voice with Johnny Depp. Yeah, there was, um, I can't read music either, but Tim's probably familiar with this, like with Sondheim's music, but Sondheim mostly uses the uh, DS Air Age as like the, the, the song of death 
he tweaks it, he manipulates it, he flips it, he does, like, I watched a full video on it, and it's, like, how Sweeney Todd's music kind of spoils the movie. You kind of expect and know what's going to be happening if you really, like, if you're a, a musical nerd and you really, really pay attention to, like, what he's, uh, what the music is, like, leading towards. Which I found out to be quite fascinating, because I'm like, I cannot, if Conan were here, he might know more about this than, than any of us, clearly, because he probably knows how to read music more than we do. I mean, maybe yeah, it's rock I, and roll. <laughs> I will say it is, yeah, it is one of the, like, if you asked me of my, you know, 16, 17 years in the opera chorus, like, what are the hardest pieces of music that I've worked on? And I would say, like, Sweeney Todd was one of them, and, like, Rake's Progress, which is by Stravinsky, is, like, the other one that was really difficult. Yeah, it's legit hard. It's, I mean, it's interesting that it's like opera, but then there's some scenes that are just straight up talked, you know what I mean? Which yeah. has to, like, yeah. that has to be tough, too, because, like, being in the state of mind where you're doing the operatic part of it, right? And then you have to, like, jump out of that and kind of have a scene with dialogue and then jump back into it. Like, in some ways, that feels harder than having a thing that's just straight opera. Not, yeah. not, that, not that operas don't also have some dialogue to them, but, like, I don't... Yeah. Which is know. weird, because I was trying to find a, like more precise what is the difference between a musical and an opera definition and it's it's kind of loose it's very i think it's very loose i think so much of it is like stylistic more than anything because i think there's like sweeney todd really does kind of ride the line another one is les mis that's mm -hmm. like i don't yep. i think that les mis is mostly done by musical theater companies even though uh -huh. it probably could qualify as an opera because I don't think there's actually any spoken lines in it. And there are operas that do have a spoken lines in them. Um, like Magic Flute has plenty of spoken lines throughout. So it's just, Magic yeah, it's more of a stylistic thing. And like, and you're right. I think that a lot of opera companies do Sweeney Todd more so than musical theater. And again, I think some of that's the technical difficulty of the music mm -hmm. and like, just being able to being able to sing the music and being able to do that justice. But um, also it's just hard music. And I think musical theater tends to do more like, oh, I, I don't know how, I don't know how they're doing it. Like eight shows per week singing these roles. Yeah. And some of them are challenging because like opera companies, they'll usually do um, things in repertory. So it's like, oh, well, they'll, you'll sing these couple of nights and then they'll be doing a different opera production with a different cast the next couple of nights. And so mm -hmm. it's not the same people singing the same roles every time. I think probably the way they get away with it with musical theater yeah. companies doing them is like having covers do certain matinees and, and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, Sondheim in general is very, very difficult to do. I mean, if you, I think his like, so, like he's probably the greatest composer in like in our lifetime. It's same with Harold Prince as a as a director, but um, it's it's fascinating to me how uh, even Johnny Depp and Helen Bonham Carter and and Alan Rickman they were all able to actually do their best at singing Sondheim at their level at the best of their abilities and able to actually pull it off phenomenally. Yeah, yeah, as, as yeah. like non-singers. And we um, don't like no, them as oh, singers, yeah. Rickman, uh, I know, did a lot of theater, but I don't know if it was any of it was musical. musical. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I, I can't yeah. speak for that, so I don't want to... I know his, his screen appearances were not musical. Except yeah. for... And, 
I think Christina asked earlier, like, when did we all see this movie? And I actually saw this movie on Tuesday. That was the first time I saw this movie. And I have to say, it was because I did that thing that I do where I just I just decide I know a movie before I've seen a movie. And I'm not a big fan of when Johnny Depp and Tim Burton come together. Latter day. Loved yeah, but- Edward Scissorhands. And it's kind of jumping the shark for me. But in seeing this and and reading the trivia about how how much Helena Bottom Carter auditioned, how much Sasha Baron Cohen auditioned, yeah, Yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen saying the saying the entire, uh, I think the entirety of Fiddler to try and get this role, and people were saying in the chat, which is kind of funny when you think about the fact that this is like uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, like right after Borat. Yeah, I, I can't imagine like he's he's at like his Borat peak, right? With everybody doing like Borat impressions, and it's pretty funny to imagine him like walking mm-hmm. in with the entire book of Fiddler on the Roof, singing it, and then like not not taking that as like a, a fucking Borat at, or like Ali G esque prank. Oh. Like, just yeah. imagine you know him singing Matchmaker, you know my wife, <laughs> yeah. my and, wife, and his performance in this is nuanced, and it could be exaggerative and maybe like borderline racist, but it is nuanced and fun, and really, people were saying in the chats that he's underrated in this performance, and I, I completely agree. Yeah, I also agree. Is. I mean, he can sing. He's, he's, yeah, he's yeah. pretending he's pretending to be Italian in this and which is like, anti-Italian discrimination. Yeah, no, but no, but it, it's pretty <laughs> funny for him to be a British guy who pretends to be other ethnicities, being an Italian guy, a British guy pretending he's a he's a layers. British guy pretending to be a Catholic Italian dude. An Italian guy. Like yeah. there's there's yeah. layers of like meta to the performance of uh of, of his Pirelli bit. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I, I think that I, I really like him in this and mm-hmm. uh yeah, that's another like I think I saw this in 2007 or 2008 like you know like I was like just became a teenager or something like and it just come out like I got it on DVD. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I think I saw it like just as it came out on DVD. Mm-hmm. And uh but also like at the same time I had watched like a whole bunch of like Ali G clips on YouTube cuz like they had the entirety of that show on YouTube and I don't think I had seen Borat yet. Like I think I was too young for Borat, but like mm-hmm. I'd seen like all the episodes of the show that he had done cuz at that time like what else was really on YouTube? The people would like put up like the Carl. Yeah, so uh yeah, I, I remember being like is that is that is that Ali G uh coming out in a in, like a in like a jumpsuit and they also give him I mean I don't know if they give him this but like he's wearing like a cod piece i'm pretty sure yes like, yeah he's wearing like yeah a whole he's like he's like hanging dong when he comes out and like it's it's that uh kind of crazy like um out like it's like an alpha character that he's almost playing you know what i mean yeah. like that just gets automatically just wrecked by fucking sweeney todd in like I, I do, seconds I, I do like that um well i i wish that they had kept the part like in that song and i was talking about this in the group chat but I wish that they kept the part of the song where it's, they're also like the dentists for the town. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like they have to they have to shave and then pull a tooth. And like one of the things is that he pulls the tooth of Toby, uh, you know, he like pulls an extra tooth that Toby has. And that's like one of the ways that he abuses him. And yeah. like I kind of wish they had kept that in. Yeah. Um, There's just- a lot of things they took out, like, you know, the Judge Turpin's Joanna yeah. song. Yeah, Congratulations. yeah. I yeah. Mean, this this is coming out, I think, a year after like Da Vinci Code. They made it into a movie with the uh with Silas the Monk mm-hmm. that they yeah. cut to him just self-flagellating like that. Like yeah. I wonder, I wonder how much if that played into it. Like I feel yeah. like the self-flagellation thing was really I mean, it might just be too dark for Tim Burton. Tim Burton, like, as much as he's like a gothic filmmaker, kind of he, mm-hmm. it, it, he, he does doesn't... keep it 
like pretty yeah. family friendly. He's like, I mean, topic, you know, they might have like, had to. <laughs> They might have had yeah. to send Sasha really Baron like Cohen uh, to dentist school because they did have him train with a barber for like several months to learn how to hold the razors just right. Uh, yeah. Actually, they had to give Johnny Depp a a, a kind of pop out one because he was very yeah. uncomfortable handling the real ones. Yeah. So I mean, he might have actually. Yeah, it yeah. might have just been like, "Hey, cut it back here." You know what's funny uh, about the uh, Joanna song? Um, when I was younger. I would listen to like serious radio or whatever because we had Dish Network. Satellite, yeah. Yeah. And I thought Joanna was about two men wanting to fighting over a woman. But then as I got older, I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's the love wants to be with a girl. The guy wants to be reunited with his mother, I mean, his daughter. But when you actually listen to Sweeney's lyrics, it's more like, I want you to be just like her. I want you to be just like, you know, your mother, my wife. I want to be with you, and I'm like, okay, babe. You know what? You know I'm so what? glad, so glad you said that. I thought maybe that was just me. Nope, nope. The older you get, the more you realize, oh, this song is actually kind of perverted from Sweeney's perspective. <laughs> yeah, like you're describing her as the physicality of her mother a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. That comment's absolutely it, well, right. But yeah, no, Alan Rickby yeah. did do a Rex Harrison. That's why it I was a that. very good Rex Harrison, especially if you're picturing him from My Fair Lady, which is one of my favorite musicals of all time. Yeah. You're expected to be like, women are irrational. That's, that's <laughs> all I hear. <laughs> um, um, but uh, yeah. that, that definitely is how fucking the Judge Turvey character feels about women, the same way that fucking he feels about women in My Fair Lady. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that that song definitely is perverted. And he's like, I, it's also like kind of creepy. I mean, I know that he's like a barber, but like he's really obsessed with like the yellow hair part of it. Like, yeah. He's like, oh, like. Why do you think I wore this wig? <laughs> yeah, but it's like, like, like the, whole, the entire thing, right? Like, and then he's describing his wife, and the one thing that he can remember about her is like, she also had yellow hair. Like, <laughs> there's like. And I, get, and I keep thinking like he's use some T eighteen Wella. Like, get that toned out. You do not want to have yellow brassy hair, man. Yeah. <laughs> Get that oh, and that's, that's just reminded me. It's like they did cut a whole little like musical number about that too. In the in the stage yeah. play, there's a whole thing about like there's the gold and there's flaxen and there's yellow yeah. and there's like give all the different versions to make sure that they got the right version to be able to find Joanna. Yeah, I forgot that Victor uh, Gabor was actually. Yeah, and he's like yeah. has to repeat it in the same, which is like like yeah. amazing use of that like operatic because a lot of the same uh, themes throughout this like repeat right like um, the variations or whatever of the same kind of like especially when they have the chorus uh, come in and do like the prelude and then like every every act of the you know of the of the opera i guess like they reintroduce it with the same um and it's the music from the beginning of the movie like the same yes that's what i was, yeah. exactly that it's, little... it's that the song of death and they keep exactly and they keep manip he's because the problem like the thing with sondheim said in the in in this interview he's talked about it, he's like i wanted to find like something very morbid to use for the musical for for like the music and he knew about the dsra and he's like, you can tweak it, you can manipulate it, you can flip it on its, you know, you could do so much with just three simple notes. And I'm like, that's the genius of Sondheim. Cause I mean, there are other composers who just rehash the same, you know, the, the rehash like the same um, few notes over and over again. 
but he did it in a way that was like throughout you wouldn't even know it was that those three notes were being used in different variations but yeah, with Andrew it, it, Weber, you you know he he always repeats himself. It's interesting yeah. that like the like the less popular uh, West End original like version, right? When they went and like everyone in London was kind of just tired of Sweeney Todd, I think by that point. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, it's interesting that Tim Burton happened to be in London at that point and saw it thirteen times in like a very short space. <laughs> back when you could afford to see a show. Yeah. So yeah. he just kept going. Like I think it was in like two months. He saw it thirteen times, which yeah. I don't even know how you spend that much time unless you're an actor. Like how much time? How, how you want to spend that much time in a theater? But um, I, I mean, it was also a different era because, like, I mean, I, I remember that was uh, when I was very, very little, and uh, we used to live right near a uh, dollar theater, and the the dollar theater would actually show movies how they used to do it, where like you know you go, you buy a ticket, you go in at any time. So so like if you miss the beginning well, of it, you play, sit but... through there. Yeah, no, no, I hear you, but but like like the the, the point is is that that we we were appropriating media uh, very differently back then. Uh, so so I'm just using that as an example because remember with Psycho, uh, you know that's how people used to watch Psycho, and and you know uh, Alfred Hitchcock, you know, told people like, oh, "Don't spoil the ending. You must <laughs> you must get that at the beginning of the film," you know, uh, kind of stuff, and. and uh, they had like a whole ad campaign because that's how people uh, watch media. So somebody going to the theater 13 times in, in like a year or two uh, to see the same play makes perfect sense, actually. Yeah. He was yeah. working on it for quite a while, like 20 years before we actually get to what we saw. I mean, yeah. if you look at the trivia online, the number of actors who were attached prior to Depp is like a literal who's who. Steve Martin. I kind of would have been cool with that because mm. I just do really love him in Little Shop of Horror. Yes. But yeah, also it, then like Al Pacino. So it goes up oh and God. it goes oh down. <laughs> I could just see that now. Like, like, do you remember what your wife looked like? She had a great ass. <laughs> Tim Curry. Every, every, single, every single time Curry, he, uh, oh, he slits his throat. Hoo-ah. Hoo-ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it would have been. I mean. Did Al Pacino yeah, yeah. If they kept um, making it like a comedy, Steve Martin would have because because in a way, it almost has very comedic acts aspects in, especially with like Angela Lansbury, like when when uh, Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Love are together. It's almost like a comedy when they're together, especially when they're singing, you know, a little priest. So I'm like, mm -hmm. Steve Martin would have if yep. they kept the comedy, made it not as dark as what it is, you know, what we got. Maybe mm -hmm. it would have been. Well, I, I just don't, I mean, because I think that Steve Martin did a good job in Little Shop of Horrors, but that's like one song. Yeah, and he kind of does. That's a good singer. He is a good yeah. singer. He, yeah, but like, I don't know if he's like a, a Sondheim level good singer, right? Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, he, plays, these people. he goes on tour with his banjo. So like, you know, yeah. man's musical. Yeah. See, this uh, I think he could do it. Yeah. 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 I think he could do if it. Johnny Depp can do it. Then, then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think yeah. Sweetie Todd is like a satire for the whole concept of like urbanization and how <laughs> the city will eat you alive. You yeah. could kind of up the camp. I could see a production of this that was more campy and yeah. I might like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think in the in the stage productions it does add a lot more camp especially to especially to a little priest mm -hmm. um is a lot campier and then I think the whole they cut a lot of chorus sections from from the thing but like you know when she's serving all the pies and all the people like that's yeah. pretty campy too we're just like you know the chorus is just scarfing down these 
meat pies and they're just kind of like hamming it up living it up like this is amazing for like feeding people their own friends and family <laughs> that's like oh this is dark but also funny like it's yeah it's good business it's not even because it's a bloodlust it's because capitalism it's just good business yeah, yeah. Yeah, we also got to talk about the fact, you know, everyone's like, this is like also like a tragic story. I'm like, it is because Sweeney's blinded by revenge to the point that he ends up, spoiler alert, killing his own wife, not knowing who she is. And, yeah. no, and no, seeing he, his own daughter, not knowing who she yeah. is. It's like, yeah. it's like uh, mm -hmm. the revenge-induced psychosis by the end of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, but then yeah. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of good, uh, I think, media about kind of that, like, especially like, I mean, modern stuff, but like a lot of times, like you kill somebody in like a show or something, right? And then someone else finds it. And then it's like, oh, well, uh, you know, now this person's found it. That's a whole new thing. And then now this person's found it. That's a whole new thing. So I do think that that's like a, it, it's always an interesting theme when like, they're like, how can we have this person find out about, you know, this murder? And then you have to like do something about that person. The and body. The next per yeah. The body. yeah. Like <laughs> it just, it's like an ever, ever extending web. Although in Victorian England, it feels like it would be a lot easier to, not have that happen because you're like yeah i remember they're, they're smelling the they're smelling like human remains coming out of the chimney and they're like well it stinks but like i don't know what everything is. is burning right now and the whole place stinks yeah yeah i mean well that's the other thing one of the other songs that they cut was city on fire i think they had yes i think that lucy sang a little bit of it the the beggar woman but mm -hmm. like it's a whole scene it's like one of the hardest songs and it's creepy and mm -hmm. crazy like yeah um it's, and it's, they did they cut a lot of her stuff that yeah. like, like kind in the of beginning I, sweeney's supposed to see her at the beginning of, of the show yeah. but they did i guess they did not want the beggar woman to be very very uh noticeable throughout because i guess they wanted to like make us forget about her and then yeah. surprise like oh, she was his wife the whole time yeah. like, there's the, like there's and the i think they made oh no, I, I think they also the sort alms, of uh, there's the alms song that they cut. They they have her do the alms oh, alms for a beautiful or for a pitiful woman. 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 Yeah, right. They have that, but then they have they have it switch, and she's like asking like guys, how how would you like to like you know she's trying to like sell her body to the guys yeah. like yeah at, like rapid speed, and then it switches again to the alms alms for a pitiful woman. She's a little, mm -hmm. and they they cut that part of it again. I think Tim like Tim Burton as like a family friendly person, but then they also mm -hmm. cut uh, Joanna having like some agency over you know wanting to leave. I think with the sailor and like you know meeting like like actually talking to him and doing that like um kiss me number like they yeah so like yeah. both in both cases they kind of desexualize um the you know sweeney's family i you know to make it more uh straightforward i guess that he's just kind of idealizing them in his head and yeah. you know they're, they're, like because it makes it more complicated i think if she really is in love with you know antony as the sailor and she's like eloping with him and she has her own agency in it and then the yeah. wife is you know walking around like trying to prostitute herself pretty much which common occurrence in victorian england i mean like yeah. You know, to the point where Jack the Ripper was able to find like what, like ten prostitutes to murder in like a very short amount of time. So I, that's kind of a like listening to the stage play version versus versus the Tim Burton version. Like they they de they desexualize and de I guess agency uh, both of those characters. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah Agree. was like uh, sculpting penises out of pie dough. Uh, <laughs> you know, whenever she wasn't getting enough laughs. So you know, like like it's a very body film. Yeah, I would imagine they would make the 
wife character a little bit more mentally unstable than they are portraying in this particular version. But again, I only have this as my my depth of knowledge. Right. But Tim, what were, Tim, what were you saying? Sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut it off. I just that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. One one person was bound to continue. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I was gonna say kind of similar. It was like they it it altered the way that that character kind of came across, and she came across as a lot a lot more of a victim and less agency. It made you feel more like sad when he, you know, when she when, gets killed at the end yeah. that you're like, oh no, this poor woman. When it's like, you don't get the, you don't get the whole full picture of like what her life after, um, after Benjamin Barker was shipped off. You don't get a full picture of what that was like. Yeah. yeah, this yeah. almost Where feels like, like, oh no, if he had recognized her, they could have been happy together. Like, there was no yeah. lady. That's no only way Zool there. there. Yeah. Yeah. They, had not, they had not uh, invented like uh, antipsychotics yet. So I don't think. <laughs> 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 no, but like, uh, like in, a, in the same way, well, right? They had like cocaine. The, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that makes that worse. <laughs> but uh, they had, uh, in the same way, right? Like Judge Turpin, I think Alan Rickman does a really good job um, being creepy as fuck without, uh, without yeah. like the extra layers of like literal just rape and like, um, like yeah. constant assault and. and well, the they alluded to stuff. him raping Lucy in the beginning. Yeah, obviously. yeah. That's about yeah, the party. And then yeah. the rest is just the creepiness of raising a child to fuck. Yes. Yeah. Well, and and in the in the stage play, they also uh, they imply that it's both Beetle Bamford and Judge Turpin that gang rape her at the party. Yeah. Um. At least in the in the song, right? Because when when uh, Angela Lansbury's like character, like when Mrs. Lovett is singing about it, he she says that like both Judge Turpin and you know the Beetle um became infatuated with her, and like the the implication is that they like gang raped her at a party. So yeah. like, w which makes a lot of sense why she's so traumatized that she's kind of turned into like this. Uh, half-conscious, you know, um, prostituted yeah. beggar woman on the street, more than kind of uh, the, you know, kind of light implication when, um, you know, Judge Turbin just takes off the mask in the movie and then climbs on top of her, I think. Yeah, everyone's laughing, like... Yeah. Oh. That's about Sorry. as dark as it could get in a, in a Santa, in a, in a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. Sorry, mm -hmm. to hard tangent. I just want to ask a question of, of Tim, who's done a production of this. There is a like trapdoor involved in this production? I mean, in all of them or just traditionally? Yeah, I mean, I think traditionally, I can only, I guess I can only speak for the production that I did, but it was, and they, they showed it in the, in the video of like the original stage version and that was how it went. It was like it flattened out and people um, slid down and they had to like crouch inside the, um, and that it was the same set piece. The the piece that was um, the chair with the trap door was the same set piece as like you rotated it around and then it was the pie shop okay. was the, the other side of it. So it wasn't like to a whole separate level. It was like a little horrible tomb. <laughs> yeah, like it was a, yeah, it wasn't like an under the stage level. It was like uh, within the platform, like it was um, the, like how it showed the the storefront, it was basically about like the the height of a person or a little bit taller than like a, a person, and it was above that um, was where the was where Sweeney was. So he was standing on top of that platform, but it didn't go like under the stage. Yeah. 
at least with that production. I'm sure there are other productions that, you know, more modern productions than that, because it was like, that was the late 70s, right? The original yeah. production, so. Um, is, it, is it the same one as the three yeah. level? Like a lot of the time you see it almost like as a, as it rotates, there's like a third level to it where uh, a character is able to like stand on the top of it and sing down to the characters on the bottom. I don't know if it's the original set that they did that with. Yeah, um, where yeah, he's standing. So like um, during during the song Joanna, when it's like kind of the the trio, um, and he's like shaving the different people and killing them, and they're you know uh, sliding down. He's on the top level of the of that building of of that set piece. Which you'd have to imagine if like you slip on that on off the top of that, like even that you could probably get hurt. Like yeah, yeah. It seems like it's a more it's a more uh, dangerous and like somewhat choreographed uh, set, I think, because it's like there's number one, there's the there's the trap door, there's the top of it. It's rotating the entire time, and you have to sing not just like uh, you know as in a musical, but like operatically while climbing this three three part set. It's like kind of an incredible feat. Um, I'm impressed by the baking and singing at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah I always like, am too, like, because it has to, she has to, like, hit the, the rolling pin, like, on specific beats. It's, yeah, like, boom, it's boom, very yeah. stylized, very choreographed. I'm like, that's a lot of hours of rehearsal <laughs> to yeah. get and, all of that together. And just, people sliding the floors, damn. And imagine uh, Angela Lansbury's, like, chucking uh, pieces of pie at uh, the conductor conductor yeah. during the uh, performance mm -hmm. too like just, just it's like whip up not a pie <laughs> by the way yeah. uh what's who did you play in the in your production oh i was just in the ensemble i was in the chorus okay so One yeah all the more, more hot pies and that and that opening scene it's it's pretty incredible though when you're getting just like you know 40 people just screaming it out especially like um and it wasn't in the movie, but like you can look up yeah. the YouTube of the of the prologue yeah. and epilogue, and it's just like the Sopranos are in the stratosphere. It's creepy. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean the um the the entire original like uh, Broadway cast recording is on like Apple Music. I, and I, what do you think I've been listening to all week? Yeah. So they, <laughs> when they when they sing like the more pies, like you can hear the the various levels sonically of uh, everybody's voices on like different levels, and it is incredibly creepy. Do you um, all have favorite songs from the soundtrack? If you had to pick one, I, I do like. I always have a soft spot for um, uh, the Joanna. Well, it's supposed to be originally the quartet, but you know, with Johnny Depp, and but I also yeah. like um, the you know, obviously when when uh, Sweetie and Judge Turpin are together for the first time, and you know, it sounds like he's about to cut. You know, I, I always like you know, uh, Pretty Women. You know, that mm -hmm. that I think. I'm pretty sure Pretty Women was the first song I ever heard from Sweeney Todd when I had Sirius Radio way back in the day. And that just, as an 11-year-old or 10-year-old, that really intrigued me. And that started to develop my love for musical theater. Yeah, I like I like, uh, I like the the quartet. And I it was just kind of funny, like, with Sondheim, like, my favorite uh, song from West Side Story is the is the quintet when they're yeah. all singing at the same. Like, I always, I, I really like when Sondheim does that. Did he um, write the music for that or just the lyrics for that? He did the lyrics for West Side Story and yeah. Bernstein did the music. Yeah. That's why it he feels like on the waterfront. Yeah. Like, bam, yeah. bam. There's, like a, there's yeah. I, I really I really like when it's like uh when they converge like different stories at the same time and they're mm -hmm. all happening yeah. like multi-layered on top of each other. And I also I, I definitely like the like the the more pies, that whole uh part of it. 
because yeah. it's just like um I, I I really I really like when Sweetie Todd comes down and he's like obsessing over like all right I'm gonna hit it three times he's like three times oh, and then he's like yeah. like yeah I get it I get it just you know like go, go back up there and then <laughs> have to run back around and then everyone's asking for pies and then he has to like kick the beggar woman out get Toby yeah. to like it just Toby it, throw yeah. the old woman out it's just like, so it's so impressive when like I mean like even more so than like hearing the song like it's so impressive to like think how much she actually has to do during that entire number, right? Like she has to rush over here, rush over there, rush, mm-hmm. you know, to throw the woman out. Then she has to give people pies. Then she has to go upstairs and like tell uh, Sweeney Todd to like, you know, knock it off. Like, I get it. I, I understand you're going to knock three times. Fine, whatever. And then yeah. she has to run back down. And it's like, I don't, like Angela Lansbury really, and I have a clip of her talking about, uh, you know, like accepting the role, but like she really took this and like ran with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't she? Didn't she win a Tony? Didn't she win a Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical for this? Yeah, I think this won Best Musical uh, when it got yeah. when it was premiered. Which is funny that like everybody in London was like, oh, "We're tired of this." Like it didn't do well in the West End, but like uh, I mean, well, it did when they re when the, there was like a revival. But like the Broadway yeah. version of it won the Tony that year. Yeah, well, um, Chicago was originally a hit until its revival on Broadway. Les Mis wasn't a hit in London, but it became a hit in on Broadway in, in New York. Surprisingly. Maybe they just don't. Maybe they just don't like when, like, uh, I don't know, like stories get retold by like uh, Americans adapting the, plays. The fucking yeah. Yankees. The fucking Yankees are <laughs> screwing up my, mu- my musicals. <laughs> what are they doing? Well, I was standing in my kitchen one day in Ireland, and uh, suddenly the we had a crank telephone. You know, in those days, a lady in the post office put the call through, and they phone cranked and uh, it was a telegram from Arthur Lawrence and uh, Stephen Sondheim and uh, it was saying would you be interested in playing the part of Nellie Lovett in a musical version of the Demon Barber of uh, Sweeney Todd the Demon Barber of Fleet Street and uh, well I looked at Peter and when I read the wire I said well that's interesting it's a very interesting idea because as children we had both been brought up with this kind of legendary bogeyman who was the who was Sweeney Todd who slit people's throats and made meat pies out of them. So I, I thought well it's certainly something to consider and they're very enthusiastic these two and they they're, obviously they're brilliant they must have something up their sleeve for, for this show. So but on the other hand, you know, the old star said, hey, wait a minute, this is called uh, Sweeney Todd. How does Mrs. Lovett fit in? You know, <laughs> it's not called Nellie Lovett, the demon Barbara of Sweet Street, it's Sweeney Todd. So I thought, I hope, you know, is this a good part? So um, anyway, uh, when I got on the phone to them and uh, we started talking about, uh, you know, how it was going to be, I realized that uh, it, it it was going to be an extraordinary production as I must be involved because Hal Prince, the great director, was directing it. And, uh, you know, here you had this triumvirate of talent on, on board. So I, I thought this is probably a terrific thing to do. So I, be, I I said yes. I always said she was a very resourceful woman. She didn't let anything go to waste. Mm-hmm. I mean, after all, the meat pies were her idea. No, it wasn't his. Uh, she was just being awfully clever and, and using available material. So, uh, you know, but she was a marvelous character. And I, I, the more I got into it, the more I realized this was an opportunity to go back to my roots, you know, and to, to do a character that I really 
would relish getting my teeth into. Oh, R.I.P. Yeah, but she yeah. lived a long, she lived a long and uh, prosperous life. Like yeah, uh, I highly recommend if, if anybody really wants to dig into her life, uh, our past guest, uh, um, Matt Baum, did an amazing uh, video about her life. Uh, that's absolutely worth checking out and uh, uh, goes into detail about uh, Sweeney Todd, uh, tells all the stories that I've been telling here. I've sold it from him, um, <laughs> you know, but but, uh, uh, you know, uh, fascinating one, because because at that time when she was living in Ireland, she, she moved out to Ireland because uh, her son had a major drug problem and her yeah. daughter got involved with the the, uh, the the uh charles manson's yeah and yep. she like had to rescue her before manson went on the killing spree and they went out to ireland so everybody could like detox yeah yep like like <laughs> yeah so so if you want more stories like that check out matt bomb's channel uh has uh you know hollywood's glad girl i think is the uh the name of the video um uh which was based on like an insult that the studios used to call uh angela lansbury and uh yeah it's uh, yeah. You know, but then played it around with the whole glad, you know, gay and lesbian alliance or yeah, whatever that is. Yeah. I forget what glad stands for. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's helping me out. Where's the cricket? Someone in the chat, save us. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the, it's the, it's definitely the gay and lesbian. Wait, hold on. <laughs> see, see, I have up on my screen Vecna, uh, the, the dude who played um, the, the sailor. Jamie Bauer? Oh, yeah, he's, he's a wonderful musician. Spoiler yeah, alert. Which means we're not going to get... Gay and, lesbian get alliance, gay and lesbian alliance against defamation. I would not have guessed that. I don't think yeah, I, I would have thought the D was for defense in some sort of way. We're not yeah. great. Yeah. Damn us for not knowing acronyms. But yeah, so, so anyways, that's the video. Go look it up. Um, and uh, let's talk Vecna. Yes. Um, no, I, I, I'm actually really disappointed that we're not going to, you know, we have all these great needle drops on Stranger Things. We're not going to get a musical number from Vecna, are we? No. We, we got that season left. Maybe we will. It's, it's so weird seeing Jamie Campbell Bowers' um, filmography because I was like, oh, this kid's going to go places probably. And then you don't hear anything from him. And then he's in, tw in the Twilight movies. And then we're like, we don't hear from him again. Uh because he's probably doing music, but then like it's almost as a Stranger Things is his big break. Yeah, he was on Thomas and Friends. Let's not erase that. Yes, <laughs> let us not forget. But we never hear any, the actors to play Joanna. I don't think you know to get anything. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I really liked. I really liked her voice in this. Like mm -hmm. oftentimes, and I think this is sort of the change from like a stage musical or opera production versus like mm. it's you know recorded in the studio and then they're singing to themselves i think that it um it actually greenfinch and linnet bird sounded great i yeah. thought she sounded great on it a lot of times like it just has a timbre that's not easy to listen to yeah in like more mm. opera productions um yeah, I don't know. It was so, yeah. It was so high, right? Like the yeah. the way that it's saying. Yeah, yeah. I like. I definitely. If if somebody has a voice <laughs> at that pitch that like is grating or something, you know what I mean? Like I definitely that that's one of the few things that like drive me crazy with uh something like that, right? Like because there are people that will have a voice like that is that high, and then just something about it like <laughs> is off. Just belt it out. But yeah, yeah what yeah. I liked about you know the cream finch and Leonard birds when it came to filming it 
the angle of the camera suggested, you know, she is a bird trapped in a cage. You know, she's trapped at yeah. Serpent's house. Like the like the angle and her singing to a bird. She's singing about herself, you know. And again, like I, I've watched this movie a billion times and watched every like single like movie or like not like, but like documentary or film video essay about this. And there's so many different things like, um, like the camera angle that they use uh, where Beetle takes Lucy to the party. They use the same for when um, Anthony Anthony gets you know around the corner and discovers Joanna. They use the same exact like camera mm -hmm. angle. There's a lot of graphic match in those camera angles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did a lot of matching to Broadway posters too. So yeah, so, yeah they were hitting a lot of like you guys said, still stagey kind of stuff. Yeah, hmm. I think it's funny. That yeah, I think. Johnny Depp actually won a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy for this. This wasn't going to be an Oscar-worthy uh, movie, I believe. But yeah, you know how Golden Globes are. Well, I mean, Oscars. How how often do they really give a musical? Uh, you That's know, a good question. Very few. Very few. La La Land. Whenever black people are nominated. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, what? And very few people. Very few people have gotten to do the stage show. And then reprise the role in the film, but a few mm -hmm. people. I think Gil Brenner won a, a Tony and an Oscar. Um, I think with Jersey Boys, that uh, yeah. would, Clint Eastwood completely destroyed Jersey Boys, and that still makes me mad because I know John Mo Young so well. But you oh, yeah. know, there there was no way they were gonna get you know Len Carey. They they wanted they wanted you know that Tim Burton, Giant Depp, Helena Bonham Carter, mm -hmm. you know, collaboration. So there's only been uh, 10, at least with Best Picture, there's only been 10 musicals that have won. Um, Way back in the day, though. Yeah. And I think yeah. you're right. Like, And Joel Gray, I think, was the other one yep. who won, like, the and Oscar and the Tony. And I think Rex Harrison did, too. Maybe. There's My yeah. Fair Lady won Best Musical, or yeah. best, best Picture, Sound of Music won, West Side Story, Chicago, Chicago won. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Chicago uh, started the movie musical revival of the yeah. 2000s. Yeah, no, I knew, I knew that. I just didn't remember that it won Best Picture. We probably talked about it. I still don't remember. Uh, <laughs> an, American, an American in Paris, uh, Gigi, oh, the great, gee. the great Ziegfeld, uh, Oliver, Going My Way. I've never even heard of that one. And the yeah. Broadway Melody. Yeah, yeah, that's when I musicals were all the rage, and then the '60s happened, and they weren't going for like. Hello, Dolly. They wanted cabaret and and Rocky Horror Picture Show. And well, well, musicals are expensive. Let's also put that out there. Yes. Like, yeah. To a point where you're like, we start to see a like uh, we're going more independent, going Miramax and and Greenlight. Shit's just yeah. fucking expensive. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I yeah. don't know. I, I think in the '60s, right? Like at least the first half of it, like Sound of Music, West Side yeah. Story, like. They're, I mean, they won. Like, but the '60s were a time of change, and things yeah. were happening even regarding the pictures. Yeah, I mean, remember Painter Wagon? Mm. <laughs> God, <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> Did you ever see The Simpsons? Uh, where where they rented it? Oh my God! Oh God! Uh, no. Homer's like Homer's like, oh, we have the Marvin and Clint Eastwood, the two baddest cowboys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. But yeah, I, I think that uh, yeah, not enough, not enough musicals have won Best Picture recently, or, at least. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it does seem like. I mean, how many like big musicals have come out as 
movies even like it feels like they've really like they, cut they down they do a west side story yeah. in yeah. the heights but in the well, heights, heights. On max they're like remaking things yeah mm-hmm. i think in the heights is one of the best ones i think the difficulty with movie musicals is like they're oftentimes they're like stage musicals first right and so it's like that the acting is different like it's much more presentational a lot of times and that doesn't always translate well to film because like it's just a different style of acting and then you've got to find like actors who can do film acting who can also sing and sing well enough to like make it work i think this was a i think that sweeney todd was a, a good combination of things because they didn't really go with like a musical theater or operatic style of singing but it still worked they still sold the music they sold the story like it it yeah. all worked together pretty well and that's a hard combination to get i think just yeah because... man of the opera did it all wrong <laughs> in my mind you have to this... have the suspension of belief like when when you go from speaking to singing and it just mm-hmm. yeah yeah. In my mind, it almost makes sense to pick someone who might have been on a like a like a rocker or in a band because, like like Meatloaf, who yeah. is in Rocky Horror Picture Show, this mm-hmm. running around and then still being large, is is yeah. definitely going to be helpful in a production like this. But you're so right when you switch it to film, it becomes so much closer mm-hmm. that the facing everything that you're yep. doing has to mm-hmm. change, and and that is a that doesn't always translate when you pick exactly the same actor who did yeah. it in the production on stage. So. That's why yeah. Chicago wowed me. Yeah. yeah. But the crazy thing is they had Anthony Stewarthead right there who who uh, would do uh, shortly after this uh, repo the genetic mm-hmm. opera, I bring it up again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, he was the understudy to Tim Curry for Rocky Horror. So when uh, Tim Curry left to make the film, he took over on the stage play. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he um, uh, was backup singer to his brother, Maury Head, on the uh, hit song, uh, night in Bangkok, yep. and there was the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode where he yeah. sang, uh, you know, uh, all the music. And like, like the man's an accomplished singer, and like they get he him for the film, role. and he just has like one line. Yeah, and I'm just like, I was like, it's Giles, Tim. Come on, <laughs> and and if you watch Repo the Genetic Opera, he nails it. Like, yeah. you know, you know, he he kills it. Like, like, yeah, he carries the uh, whole thing. Like, I was back. I was surprised there were not cameos of like, like imagine you see Angela Lansbury just walk in mind her own business or seeing Len carry you as like uh, a, a, a a victim. Like, you know, someone could- The victims could have easily been cameos. Yeah. Yeah. George Hearn, like so many mm-hmm. other Sweeney's in the past. Uh, yeah. That would have been pretty, that would have been pretty Me cool. Sweeney like, to mix it up a little. Yeah. It seems, it seems like, like Tim Burton yeah. kind of kept this uh, within the family a little bit. Like, yeah. At least the Harry Potter family. <laughs> yeah, Harry, all the Harry Potter characters getting up to some weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so we definitely know that the Harry Potter film was not filming at the same time because all these yeah. actors needed to be available. So it was done yeah. on the off season. Yeah. yeah. And, but it's uh, also good to know what happened to Alan Rickman in that time period because I had no clue. I, I wasn't watching the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. Um, I uh, I went down a very strange path of not liking J.K. Rowling in like in the '90s and early 2000s. And hey, you were ahead of us. Uh, you know, yeah, no, believe me. Like, like I got like people would yell at me, like, "Why not?" I'm like, you can like it. I don't. Don't make me like it. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to yuck you yum. It's just not for me. You know, yeah. the one error in this movie is, and it's not the chair. You know, whatever. But it's the fact that Helena Bonham Carter was pregnant 
And so this film was shot out of order. So there are times where her breasts look a little bit bigger. You know, she looks a little bit more chunkier and chubbier. And I'm like, oh, well, I just assumed it was. I just assumed it was all the the meat pies. That's no, what he said. Yeah, pregnant. that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, she was, she was pregnant. So the, all news you know, to me. Everyone's like, she looks thinner here and she looks bigger there. I'm like, she was pregnant. I'm like, they can't. They couldn't film it in order. I'm like. Very few movies are filmed like in like in order, especially yeah. when it comes to it, when it comes to movie musicals. You really have to figure out like what are we going to do today? What are, you know how we're going to do this today? Like it's not like oh we're just going to film it like song by song. Yeah, and, also, and, when people are available, yeah, and you know that also kind of affects the way that you you do it as a production because when you're doing a whole play all the way through, you keep going, you kind of live get off of that energy and it builds and it builds to those larger end and pieces so yeah. have to like we're just doing this piece today it is hard to bring that i would assume yeah that that's the difficult like i feel like that's something and i discussed this with um john Lloyd young for jersey boys he's like you know when you're doing like eight shows a week you're going you're going you're going you're singing 27 songs in high falsetto but when he was doing the movie they sung it live which was not a good idea in my opinion but he's like you know i'm so used to you know doing numbers and doing this and doing that. And so when you're so used to that, we had to have like, you know, people remind us like Vincent Piazza who played Tom DeVito, he was like the only non-stage actor. So he was like, you know, kind of teaching the guys like, okay, we're going to do like one or two musical numbers today. We're going to film this scene next week. Like it's so mm. more, it's, it's hard to get in that zone, which is why a lot of the times they cast actors who don't have much theater experience because they will know how to film, mm -hmm. you know, a movie regardless. You can yeah. kind of teach them to sing, I suppose. Um, yeah. So this is, this is uh, speaking of that, yeah. this is from behind the scenes where they're helping uh, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, uh, which I had to redub her name because I have a like family friend whose name is like Botham, like that's the last name is like Botham. <laughs> and so I kept saying Helena Botham Carter. <laughs> <laughs> have, a, have, a, have, a, have another go. By the sea is really tricky because there's no space to breathe at all. Two, three, four. By the sea, Mr. Todd, that's a life I can't. I think Angela Bansbury lost her voice routinely at the end of the show. I was really comforted to read something that Angela said that she actually confronted sometimes. So, well, where do I breathe? And he said, I didn't write anywhere you breathe. You just don't. Because she's got so many of the tough songs and she's having to find her character in the recording studio in a way, that's been a challenge because she's never really known, well, where am I going to be? A and B turns. And action. For example, if we take the worst pies in London, how am I going to know that I've got to sing this song, hit a rolling pin on the thing, make a pie, how am I ever going to know that I've got enough time to sing that, walk across the pie shop and talk to Sweeney? That's been the hard one for her because when you record the orchestra, we have to make those decisions without seeing the film. So Helena would always be there and she'd be whispering in my ear at the recording studio, mm, can, we try, can we just try one a bit slower? Can we try one a bit faster? Because she was trying to, you know, routine her scene out in her head. We hadn't actually done any acting together, me and Johnny, so I didn't really know. So sometimes you did come across, but you thought like, oh, I thought you were going to look at me at that. That was what I'd imagined in my booth. Of course, when you're acting on your own in a booth, your other actor is always going to do what you want. <laughs> and then when they're on set, 
they got different ideas. Yeah, it's a little vibe. What is that? What you think we are? <laughs> Sorry, baby. Sorry. I'll do it less, but it's got a stick. It's been really interesting working with Tim on doing this musical. First of all, it's been, because I know privately, because I live with him, that he hates musicals. So it's kind of fantastic that he's doing one. This is my territory, because you know, he thinks that Billy, our son's going to be gay, because he listens to Judy Garland, and I just bring up, bring, brought him up on musicals. It's very interesting adapting a stage piece to a film because there's lots of things that I didn't know to begin with that I sort of found out as we went along. For instance, you know, there's a lot of music and it's maybe 70% people singing. But, you know, we tried to avoid that kind of a lot of dialogue and then people bursting into song. And, and so to sort of deal with that, you know, we cut out a lot of choruses. We cut out a lot of secondary people singing things and let, you know, the main characters sort of project their feelings through the music. It's really coming from an internal place for them. Although I'm an extrovert, he's asked me to bring everything back. Not use my hands. I mean, real practical things. Hardly ever use my hands, which I find quite hard as an East End extrovert to not use my hands. He said, no, no, looks theatrical. I'll use my eyebrows too, <laughs> which tend to be hyperactive anyway. He said, because you're singing, and you're already in a big environment. You're singing, there's a full orchestra. You look strange because we've got rather dramatic makeup. You've got to counteract that with a very restrained performance. I know um, By the Sea is very difficult to sing, but I think the hardest Sondheim song to sing is Getting Married Today from Company because you have to sing as fast as possible because you're supposed to be hyperventilating and not find time to breathe while singing that song. Like it's, yep. it's yep. They would know. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's that, that's like just a, that's just a fun challenge to give yourself to do. I can do it. <laughs> like to do the, to do the powder. It's, it's very fast and it's a lot and to try to get sort of the acting into it. But yeah. Yeah. But that but that clip definitely explained like, you know, what you know, what you have to change from uh, stage to, to film for sure. Yeah, because it's like, oh, you have to make the vocal and acting choices sort of alone in the studio before you get to know what the staging is. That's mm -hmm. definitely a challenge. But also, I like that she kind of described this like. I, you know, that a lot of that was the directorial choices more than her choices for the character. Cause I did find her to be a lot more subdued than like Angela Lansbury is like a lot more over the top. And again, like stage yeah. versus movie, you yeah. can't, you can't get away with the same level. It would have come across too cartoonish yeah. probably, but like for stage, it's fun. Yeah, if you if you get the like, Lana, I'm gonna mention Clint Eastwood. He was not a good choice to do Jersey Boys because he made the cast completely subdued. Like there was no really good like acting in it. Mm -hmm. And like with Sweeney Todd, you know that Tim Burton did it right. Like you, you know they all and even like and I'm and Sondheim was impressed. Like he he really actually liked this adaptation because he's like that's actually you know really you know uh, how like phenomenal. Sondheim said this is one of his favorite interpretations into film yeah. of his work, which is impressive. And it's also impressive because when you think of Tim Burton, you think of a clear visual style. 
But like, yes, as also a director, he is handling the performances of the actors. He's not just letting them go loose, figure yeah, out whatever just, the hell they want to do. It's probably his yeah. favorite musical of all time. So he wants to, he's like, you know, this is my favorite musical of all time. It's, I've seen mm -hmm. it a billion times. I need to treat it with respect and dignity and make sure that it lives up to Steve and Sondheim and even Harold mm -hmm. Prince's standards since he's like the, he was a phenomenal stage director as well. And one, and one, uh, one interesting mm -hmm. thing, um, Harold Prince and Sondheim actually disagreed on what the play was about in the first yeah, place. Of course. Like yep. uh, how, how Prince thought that it was a story about how like Victorian era factory work, right? Like the class distinctions actually yep. bring the life out of people and turn them into like these inhuman monsters. And that's why every character is like so over the top evil and vindictive. It's like this system, like the systemic story about how uh, this, this level of industrialization turns um everybody involved in it and everybody involved in like these factories and because all these characters are getting pulled out of like workhouses you know what i mean like um yeah like especially like toby like they pull him out of the workhouse just and he's, like, grinds you up yeah and yeah. how that and how that drains the humanity out of you and sondheim's like no i just think it's about revenge man like <laughs> harold prince was Why one not of those guys both? who's always like <laughs> This is about this, like this show is about, even when he was doing, mm -hmm. he, he directed Family of the Opera for Andrew Lloyd Webber. And he's like, you know, this is a love, you know, I loved it. This is like a love story. There's passion. There's this. And Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, yes, even though I wrote it for my wife, but this is good. But it, it, it is interesting because Harold Prince is probably, it's probably the greatest uh, stage director of all time. RIP to a legend. Um, he's like, uh, he's like he, Andy. He's like Andy with art. You know, yes. and he's like so so perfect in art, but then you're like, oh, what's this about? And he gives you like some story that you've never even like. For that. You're like All right, I guess there's an alligator in there now. Snap correction. <laughs> well, there's an alligator in all of us. Yes, there there there's a there's a razor in all of us too. <laughs> I so I so I rewatched uh, Edward Scissorhands. And like, you know, before doing this and I mean, you know, Sweeney Todd again, and I like completely forgot that there's a scene where, uh, in ever scissor hands, he's, he uses the scissors to cut everybody's hair. Yeah. And it feels like there's like a good barber and like a bad barber in the Tim Burton universe. Like, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, the, 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 the mon like the monster that's misunderstood, that's good and like pure and everything. And then there's just like Sweeney Todd being like, I'm going to kill you with this razor. Yeah. Cause, like, Cause you expect that every scissor hand is going to accidentally like snip somebody's hair too short and like cut them or something throughout that story of my life um <laughs> notice in joanna there's one guy he doesn't kill because his wife and daughter are in there with him so he's like mm, can't do it yeah awesome. yeah and that's the thing i think that the, and that's in this stage play as well where it's yeah. like the family's in there so it's like every once in a while there's one that he is like, oh, I'm just gonna actually give them a shave and a haircut and let them live and move on with their lives, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. Well, it seems like in the play, there's like an understanding, like they have, they're only doing this to the people that nobody's gonna miss, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, guys everybody, they'll notice too. Like, some people yeah. have to get a shave, otherwise they shut you down real quick. Which I mean, yeah. you know, in a, in a Victorian era London, like it makes a lot of sense with, you know, there's a lot of transient uh, people just coming for, to do factory work or like sailors. Like, I mean, Anthony would have been a perfect person for him to kill if that wasn't like his friend. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Friend. Uh, yeah. Like, well, his, his, his son-in-law. Um, <laughs> yeah. Didn't, it did remind me of Devil in the White City and that whole kind of, uh, you know, 
uh, accessibility of murder victims due to like an ever growing city and you're just killing people no one cares about. Um, yeah. Or like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Or like only, yeah, the people that nobody cares about are people that like don't have family members or friends that are like going to come snooping around. It's kind mm -hmm. of like people come snooping around looking for them. <laughs> and this is like an obscure reference, but like thoroughly modern Millie. Oh, sad yeah. to be all alone in the world. Yes. <laughs> um i like i mean also that's the whole point of like the jack the ripper thing right like uh mm -hmm. he only goes after you know prostitutes on the street that nobody's going to necessarily miss and like a as the legends about jack the ripper kind of got bigger and bigger like he's like almost like this nobleman or like this uh some kind of like you know official yeah, he's or a doctor for the uh for, for the royal family who's trying to hide the fact that the uh the prince uh got syphilis from uh prostitutes on the streets and yeah, um, yeah, so allegedly. Honestly, yeah. today Jack Jack yeah. the Ripper would be a hero to like Andrew Tate types. <laughs> to the alt right. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's kind of like Jack the Ripper did nothing wrong. <laughs> kind of an interesting question because while I was watching this movie, I thought like, well, you know, it's a penny dreadful. Of course, it's going to be set in Victorian times. That's the original time frame of the musical. Could you modernize this? Would it change it that much? And then also, I thought about that movie. We we all, I was on your uh, podcast for Delicatessen and how yeah. like maybe there's a place where that as a modern version of Sweeney Todd set in like a French futuristic world. Is it the same, same place? <laughs> Is it almost <laughs> the same place? It feels Victorian. Yeah, no, that movie did feel uh, somewhat Victorian, but I, I mean, I don't know. I think that there's cities in like, uh, you know, you look at like urban sprawl in somewhere like China or like India mm -hmm. or like places where it really is uh you know urban sprawl to that level and maybe there's less um oversight over you know the the poorest people versus the richest people i i think that you could remake something where it's like i mean there still are like a lot of homeless people in the united states that you could make something like this and have him yeah. only like you know killing like homeless people but it's still it's hard to uh matt because we just have so much like surveillance tech i feel like it's yeah. hard to get away yeah from yeah, hard to get away with murder these days. Okay, but hear me out. San Francisco, nineteen ninety two. Yeah, well, right. If you wonder if it was more like uh, uh like New Delhi or Bangkok or something that like was, you know, a huge, huge city and like huge wealth disparity situation. Yeah. And kind of caste system again, where it's like they're just sort of ground down by the system. Bong Joon Ho's uh, Sweeney Todd. Yes. I'm yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the most modern interpretation of Sweeney Todd probably has to be the 2006 revival where they all had to play their own instruments because the costumes were not Victorian at all. Like, yes, yeah, Sweeney Todd wearing like a leather jacket, Miss Lovett's mm. wearing like a white, short white dress. Uh, I. I'm pretty sure you could find the Tony performance on because when I saw it, I was like, "This is Sweeney Todd. This is so like modern." And 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 why are they playing their own instruments? Yeah. When I think of Sondheim, I think of like orchestrational, like you know, big bombastic orchestra. So I think yeah. Madonna and Dick Tracy. I'm sorry, that's just <laughs> yeah. It was very minimalistic. Yeah, yeah. It was like a stripped down version where it's During like the intro, just the basics was... of the music. During yeah. the intro, whenever we saw the guy slide down the slide, was that from that version of uh, Sweeney Todd? I think. It's probably I think that was a test. I think that was from the original, the one where he slid down and was like crouching inside the little building. That was, I think, the original set. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, 
The one that they tested in the intro, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like the Atlanta theater. I think that is the original set, but that was a test from like the Atlanta theater department. Yeah. Or uh, opera. I mean, opera, whatever. Like the, mm. yeah. 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 Um, For a more recent uh, version of, of Sweeney Todd, that cricket's back. I was going to say, <laughs> Jiminy Cricket's back. So, Cricket, what did you think of the movie? <laughs> and then wasn't there, sorry, this is sort of like a random story, but I want to say a few years back, time being what it is, it was probably like seven or eight years ago, but there was like a high school production where they like did not cover the the prop knife well enough and like high yeah, school kids were like, there. yeah. Yep. Yep, that's wild. Like we can't do, we can't, we can't do Sweeney Todd. I'm like, first of all, I don't know why any high school production want to do Sweeney Todd, considering all the material. But like, I'm like, it's like having having a middle school production of Hair. Like, what, what, what? No, no, it's naked at the end. What the heck? Yeah, I've definitely been in some low budget horror films where we've had to be like, look, you can't just dull a knife down enough. Get a prop knife. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Shout out to Britney Spears. A, a prop shop was about to close down, a mom and pop prop shop, but she was dancing with those prop knives and now they're no longer going to go out of business. Yeah. The, prop, the props she gave those props, mm-hmm. prop them up. See, yes. there, there are people that like, the assumption was that it was like real knives and Britney Spears is just like, no. gone, gone, gone crazy. Let Brit- leave Britney alone. <laughs> it, it was funny that video went viral though, like the same week we're doing Sweeney Todd. I know. So I was like the next, like the next Britney Spears video is just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I completely missed this. I have no clue what y'all are talking about. There's, there's a video that went viral of Britney Spears dancing with these knives, and I guess they were prop knives, and yeah. she, uh, she like saved a, a like a, a place that was going out of business, a prop shop. But people just assumed like she had her knives and she was dancing with them, and so it went like viral. People being like, Britney Spears has gone crazy again. And, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Leave her alone. Yeah, she helped save a business. She 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 is a comrade. Okay, that makes way way more sense than her just dancing with knives around. Knives knives are fun to dance with. You gotta have a reason now, Jesus. (laughs) Women women aren't allowed to have fun. God, get a hobby. Not on social media anymore. People get she can do whatever she wants now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, people get real it's mad great. whenever they see uh, whenever they see women having fun on social media. Yeah, like, like I'm gonna film this. Yeah, I'm Brittany, come viral. on the show, bring your knives. I'm yeah. still in my awkward knife phase, so it's fine. Yeah, doesn't your husband like teach fencing too? So like that doesn't help. The sword's actively behind me right now. Yeah, no, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, sir. But uh, is it uh, is it letterbox one liners time? I think it might be Letterbox one-liners time, which would be the time in which Conan reminded us that Letterbox is the bastion of democracy. No, he says it's a place for film lovers to, to talk okay. at with it to each other about the films they love, the films they don't love. You know what? Hey, uh, why, why, why not instead of talking over KT, let KT make it her own No, thing. he's got it. He's got the films it. They love, the films they don't love, the films that they got a haircut while watching. That's <laughs> presented in the... In the in the one liner format, you know, and it levels uh, the playing ground because anybody can leave a review. Even you could sign up for Letterbox right now at the end of this bit. I wish yeah. they were paying us to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he also says no Siskels, no Eberts, and these are the Letterbox one liners for uh, Sweeney Todd, the the demon barber of Fleet Street. This is definitely Army Hammer's favorite musical. 
Oh, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> One could say he found it delicious. He's he's the like, and I was thinking about this while watching it. Like the one guy who finds out that it was meat pies in the end after all the, all the bodies get found, and uh, he's just like, "All right, like, sure, it's human meat. It's Army Hammer. He's the last guy." And he's like, "That's what I assumed." But <laughs> did you hear? Oh, it was like in the early aughts they did a thing called Hufu, and it was a human flavored tofu that anthropology students had made by talking to. Uh, cultures in South America that, that purported to be cannibalistic mm. uh, and they sold it and it didn't, it, you know, it didn't do well and it's no longer for sale. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember that, but I didn't know what happened at the end of the story. Johnny Depp, sexy hair, cinematic universe is so fire. That gray <laughs> white streak though. Do you know, I, ironically, they, when they shipped this movie out to movie theaters, they had to ship it under like uh, different name a secret name and the secret name was skunk yep presumably because of his fantastic hair mm -hmm. he's, uh and he's not even the most peppy Le Pew like character in this movie yeah uh, that would be that would be judge turpin yes <laughs> oh, god forbid men have hobbies yeah right <laughs> you know like if he had yeah. just picked up collecting stamps maybe we wouldn't wind up like this <laughs> you know, women These can play with are knives. my stamps. <laughs> <laughs> my hand is complete, and at the end, it's just a beanie baby. Yes. My mail is complete again. <laughs> Time to mail it out. <laughs> Snape, Pettigrew, Bellatrix, and Grindelwald get up to some weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> They really did just like cast, uh, you know, Helena Bonham Carter's like castmates from Harry Potter movies. Yeah, and one of the set was fun. It would be funnier though if they did a version of this where like they did the same thing as the um, Fantastic Beast thing, where they just replaced Johnny Depp with Mads Mikkelsen or whatever, and they had like a him running this. I he definitely, I, I don't know if he can sing, but Mads, <laughs> I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Well, he can dance, so we know that. Excellent Italian representation. Hey, <laughs> they let a British, they let a, they let a British guy, like a British Israeli guy, play a Italian guy. That's not good British representation. Let an Italian guy play the fake Italian guy. <laughs> you know, it could have been so much more upsetting, and yet it was fine. <laughs> and, and he even had the Italian flag as the uh, the, the 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 barber, um, you know, put around the guy's neck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Of course, he's like, yo, I shaved the Pope. That's the one other Italian guy that he knows. <laughs> Alan Rickman and Johnny Depp are so horrible and hot in this at the same time. So, like, I get it. Same. <laughs> same, though. <laughs> same. It's horrible. You're like, God. Oh, my the God. One, this one is written by Christina. The, the one part <laughs> that almost yeah. made me feel bad for the fact that they're both, like, sociopathic demons in this. <laughs> like, uh the one thing that kind of made me feel bad is when he's like, it's so rare that a man finds a kindred spirit in his life or whatever. When he's in the barber chair at the end, I was like, Oh, in a different world, they'd just be friends. Like with certain taste in women, at least <laughs> could have been besties. Oh yeah. And then uh, I forgot about like, I don't think it was in this show, but like the whole, but in the movie, the whole scene of like him sentencing this child to death oh by God, hanging. Yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh. All <laughs> right. <laughs> He's, he's like, I love, I love what they're talking. He's like, did do you did he do it? And he's like, 
he he must have done something to deserve that, like getting hung. And fucking Judge Trevor's like, what man hasn't? And it's like <laughs> <laughs> he and Sweeney Todd are the same ethos when you think about it, right? Sweeney yeah. Todd's like, uh, you know, like you deserve to have a short life if like um if you're wicked, and if you're not, you still deserve to die. That's pretty much what Judge Turpin said. At the yeah. same time, they are spiritually like a similar character it's almost like yeah. a victorian version of heat is what you're saying <laughs> well it's just it's class that separates them more than more than uh more than attitude yeah yeah popping pussies into pies <laughs> <laughs> was a line that was hard to hear i put on the closed captioning because the high pitch of the younger actress i couldn't yeah. it was muddy so I got Pumping to see that season to pies come across the bottom of my screen. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometime. And she continues like dunking on that. Uh, at least in the stage play, she continues dunking on the popping pussies into pies lady. Um, yep. Like later on, she's like, yeah, "This she's is broke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> broke hoe. Go put some more pussies in those pies. <laughs> also, a hard P noise to hit in a song without you know spitting too high. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care what anyone says. I still ship Sweeney and Mrs. Lovett. They're like Sid and Nancy, but more fucked up. True. <laughs> yeah, uh... it has the same ending. Yeah, it's pretty apt. <laughs> mm -hmm. True. Well, actually, no, he doesn't cook her in the movie. He just stabs her. But you know, go on. Uh, Sid, and... Sid Vicious doesn't get. Sid Vicious also doesn't get taken out by some little kid. <laughs> that would. Be... <laughs> The kid is a metaphor for drugs. Yeah, he's, he's actually right. heroin. Anthony coming back with the carriage to find a bloody slaughter. I was only gone for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Shit got escalated so quick. I, I I do love though that like uh he locks the he locks the guy that runs the mental asylum. This definitely definitely has the big vibes of like he also is sexually abusing every girl in there. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like they're oh, all yeah. like, well, like I love that he locks children. the he locks the guy in there with him. And the last shot you see is all the girls going like they're like getting ready to fucking just devour him pretty much, like ripping yeah. him from them. Like they just <laughs> just realized that they outnumber him that badly. Good yeah. for her. Legally blonde uh four. <laughs> Why couldn't they just be happy on a beach somewhere? Damn. I know. <laughs> that really stood out. I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> yeah, all the stripes. That's the yeah, swimming. What was the um like uh, this is for this is for Tim? Like what what was the stage like uh like the background on the stage play when there's the by the sea number? Like because in this, that's the one time you really get like the full saturation of it. Yeah, in the in the stage play. There's they're still just in like Mrs. Lovett's house. It's not they don't actually go anywhere. This is all in her imagination. So yeah, she's really I mean, she's really painting the picture to the best of her ability by by the music of it. And she's sure good at painting that picture. She, yeah. she really he doesn't care. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he's got like, revenge okay. on the mind. He's not. Yeah, he's, he's like, not going <laughs> And all he can remember about his wife is that she had yellow hair. He doesn't even recognize her. He like she like the, the wife is in the room. He doesn't recognize her because you know what I mean. He has face blindness or whatever. And yeah, like, I don't know. They did it. They did a good job of like obscuring her as much as possible, and that's kind of how they have to do it, like in the stage play. But it's harder yeah. on film because 
they never showed her face all that up close yeah. other than like with a lot of shadow and um i thought yeah. they did a good job of like hiding her identity really, until yeah. like towards the very end when he finally got to see her face Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I think that it's uh that's another reason I guess why they didn't do a more complicated like um like you know giving her more of a role in this because they wanted to surprise you at the end which I think is harder mm -hmm. if you're doing it as a as a movie than it is as a stage play. It's mm -hmm. like you don't know who the fuck you know what I mean like if some lady is just singing like alms alms like you don't know that that's you just think that it's another character. Yep. Yeah, but in this but you see her at the beginning. Yeah, it yeah, does make yeah. it a little more challenging because it does feel like him killing her is like a little a little out of left field. Whereas like if she is more of that character of like, you know, kind of getting into people's faces and like trying to sell herself and being like really irritating and really getting, you know, then it's kind of like he's just trying to get rid of her as a nuisance where it mm -hmm. seems a little less motivated if yeah. she's not as present. It's like, oh, you just killed this bigger person. But, but also, like, too, the judge was coming up, so he had to think of something quick to get yeah. rid of her. So he's like, yeah. and I'm like, oh, you're gonna, as someone who knew the stage show, I was like, oh, you're gonna regret that. My friend's like, what do you mean? I'm like, nothing. It yeah, yeah, exactly. The stage, the stage show also, she's the one that's in front of the house when Anthony sees jo Joanna, right? Like, yeah. he's the one that's like, so she like she introduces that scene she's on the street yeah she's creeping around there's like that whole number that they cut uh with beetle bamford just showing up like singing like the out of like the songbook or whatever which, yeah yeah like, yeah, like that that whole song she's around for that whole thing too she's looking for the beetle that's the one person that the beetle can't you know the beetle's trying to get rid of he's like ah get out of here beggar woman like we i know yeah. who you are like we like we only fucked one yeah. time. Get out of here! Like, but also, it is kind of interesting. She's kind of stealth, like in both in both versions. She's pretty stealth in that. Like, how is she not? Again, it seems like she's kind of being protected by the the beetle, and maybe they feel some sort of remorse. I don't know, but somehow she's not in prison, and somehow they didn't put her in bedlam either. Yeah, mm -hmm. I do think I do agree with you though, Tim. By not really including her so that they could have her be a surprise at the end, it does feel like an abrupt kill. Even though there's the time, it makes sense like thematically. It does feel like, hey, and she's here, and she's dead, and you're like, yeah. Ah. yeah. But then, but then, Emerald's like, I remember that the entire theater gasped at that. I was like, I knew that, oh, but okay. God. <laughs> I mean, she's People just like got that. a little bit of makeup on, and yeah. the others like, wake up. Yeah, but it's yeah. kind of good that I, I in, in a weird way, I'm actually happy that Sweeney Todd gets killed in the end by Toby because, in a way, he gets to be with his wife in hell. I'm assuming <laughs> purgatory. I don't know. But is the wife going to yeah. hell? That's the thing. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like the wife, the wife. What is what has she really done besides sell herself? Yeah, It'll be annoying well, the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you're right. I think that it is. I think that that makes him susceptible to being to being killed. His his guard is no longer up because he's already enacted his revenge, and then he found out that he lost the person that he actually was trying to get vengeance for. So he had nothing left. So like, why couldn't a child kill him at that point? He probably yeah. would have. Well, even Joanna, if he had seen him, I think he would have just welcomed him in. You know. It's like yeah, he suicide got, by Toby. Yeah. yeah. He got Omar, man. It's it's like the kid shows up and kills him at the end. 
just like Omar. Yes. Because because he because Mrs. Lovett like and a lot of people like my friends who do theater didn't like Mrs. like Helena Bonham Carter's portrayal Mrs. Lovett because they're like she's supposed to be a hag and a little goofy. But I'm like, if they make it from a, a like a, a young man to a boy, there's that maternal feeling. And so of course he kills Sweeney because you know he 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 killed his only mother figure in life. Yes, I believe the mm. whole previous song called "Nothing's Gonna Harm, harm you. you" while I'm around. Like, yeah. ten like, minutes ago. I yeah, mean, it's way more it's way more believable in some weird way if it's a child than if it's like a mentally challenged adult that's like nothing's gonna harm you. It's like what are you really capable of doing in this? Situation? Yeah, yeah. But that's so much more sinister that you would sing that to a, a mentally handicapped adult as if True. you were yeah. a child. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. like a little bit of that. Makes it a little more PG, obviously. Well, yeah. the, uh, but also, things is in the revival, I think, playing Toby. So it, I guess they're realizing that we can have like a young man play him now, like a teenager, and I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll stick with that. Yeah, but also bringing back one of your earlier points about like, okay, so we we cut the tooth pulling scene, but we're okay putting your wife up in flames. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, maybe Tim Burton has a has a dentist fear or something. He's like, I, he must. I, I there mean, must have been Charlie something. Because <laughs> you know how some people it's like they can handle a lot of blood and guts, but you, the minute you bring out a needle, no. I'm fine with that. I'm the, only, no. the only part of this, movie and I, I think found... that's the same thing with like dentistry. People are like, nope, we'll go really far. We'll go with slitting throats. We'll go with setting yeah. people on fire. But We're you bring out a tooth, tooth no. But it is the one part I found like truly disturbing watching this as like a teenager was when she gets thrown into the fire and like yeah. fingers on her and you like you literally just watch her play, like even even knowing full well that it's like CGI fire like you know what I mean like and it looked yeah. good too unlike most mm -hmm. of the time whenever you see CG fire so yeah. like you know shout yeah. outs to, yeah. to the special effects artists for that because like that looked better than, a lot uh, since uh, Mars attacks yeah. and those flame suits are so. The flame suits are so fun. Get the sun yeah. eyes out on that. They, have you ever used a flame suit? No, a bunch of my friends have, and they're notoriously oh. cold. Oh yeah, because you're covered in the like you know flammable item. Yeah, no, I'm 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 all good with that kind of stunt stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's. But it was wild because like in the stage version, they make sure that 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 the stove doesn't have a window, and it and if I'm remembering correctly, it was staged to where like. The audience can't really see inside the door no matter what so it's yeah. like uh, from what i'm remembering it's like on the it was on the side of the stage so it's like that door could be opened someone could go in there you close it and then they could just exit the stage mm -hmm. from the from the stove but like yeah that was, that was a little extra graphic but it is like a creepy scene either way because usually like in the stage version they just stay in that oven and just like pound on the door screaming yeah. oh, awesome yeah there it kind of like... reminds me of uh at the end of lord of the rings though when uh gollum jumps after the ring into the fire he's like there are yeah. too many just... horror plays now that i think about it like you know to have to ask yourself like how are we going to do blood on stage how are we going to put someone in an oven on stage i think that there were way more like in the victorian era there's like there were yeah. a lot more like horror we need plays. to bring like, those back were... yeah 
it's like the 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 penny not penny opera but like there's like the penny theater show or whatever that you would go to and you'd like you know give them like a little bit of money and they'd like put on some like i don't people in london love that shit but yeah. one of the one of the better sort of like vic shows that's set in the victorian era that's like i think is hilarious and it's actually kind of based in truth is like have you ever heard of the room next door or the vibrator play yeah no. No, it's literally because like at that time, I think um, it was a situation where it was like, oh, well, she just she needs to get off is what needs to happen um, for her to not be experiencing mental illness. And so that was literally the first uh, if I'm remembering correctly, that's the first like electric device that was actually yes. created was a vibrator because the, the old timey Victorian doctors were getting carpal tunnel from. Now, yes. now, now, British, uh, now British orgasms buddies. can can prevent you from mental illness. You heard it here. Now, folks. now, uh, now, now, British horror is just yeah, pronouns, pronouns, yeah. pronouns, <laughs> and all the British people go. Ah! <laughs> 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 uh, they're on turf. They're on turf islands. Although I, I have to admit, it feels like people say Joanna's name so much in this production. Take a they, shot. It's, it's like they don't know her die. pronouns and they're just trying to not say like he or she they're like just say joanna <laughs> just say it oh god yes G joanna hey how's it going uh assuming not assuming anything you know joanna <laughs> joanna yeah i know her i know joanna Pretty women i don't know what next <laughs> <laughs> I, but like it really like i don't know like it, i feel like british culture has like devolved like it's gone from like some like truly like uh terrifying like horror stuff to like british people kind of freaking out about trans people and cancel culture like that's their main i feel like that's their main cultural output now yeah. <laughs> it's just like get like a 70 year old man complaining that uh you know wokeness has gone too far which is ours too but i don't think we ever really pretended it was anything else <laughs> yeah <laughs> They also have some good cheeses. <laughs> yeah, you, gotta, and, you wanna get a Wensleydale? You have to go there. And there's, I mean, they, they put, sure put beans in a lot of stuff. Oh, remember my uh, a birthday stream forest where uh, Jean got into a fight with Ben about like British foods? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I'm thinking is just like, you know, uh, Jean's like, you get really good Indian food over in England. Yeah, technically they did invent the tikka masala is is, is a <laughs> British invention. <laughs> uh, so should we do final thoughts? Oh, um, we should do plugs. Yeah. Oh, plugs. No, nobody, first. nobody uh, led me into plugs, so I'm just sitting here flailing. Uh, hey, Eddie, you want to plug some stuff? Yeah, let's do that. If you're watching us on YouTube right now, please do those YouTube things. Like, comment, subscribe, hit that bell. And of course, the big ask is to watch the video to the end. That allows other movie fans to find our content. And you get to hear a great Conan Neutron song, which is the only Conan you get during the stream. It's beginning and end. That's it. That's it. That's all you're getting. Um, you'll have to come back next week for another snippet of Conan. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you're over on uh, uh, Twitch, we're there too. Uh, throw us a sub. If you happen to have an Amazon Prime account, you can subscribe for free. It doesn't cost you a penny, but it really does help us out. So thank you very much for uh, considering to do that. Uh, speaking of helping us out, we have a Patreon. Um, Patreon.com. What is, oh God, 
Sorry, hey, hang on, hang on. Patreon.com uh, slash movie um, night extra. Uh, Siri just came on for some reason. Patreon.com slash movie night extra. Sometimes that cuts off my microphone. <laughs> Thank you. By becoming a patron, fucking Siri. Okay, what the fuck? <laughs> did did, did that cut off my mic? For only two or three dollars. No, the, your mic's fine. Okay, mic's fine. But last time that <laughs> happened, like I, my mic cut off, I had like reset everything. It was it was a nightmare. So I'm panicking a bit here. Um, but anyways, yes, we have a Patreon. Uh, go to Patreon.com/slash Movie Night Extra. Um, uh, you know, subscribe over there. You get access to our after party, so you can go back and see how we terrorized poor Tim the last time he came on the show uh, at our after party. So um, uh, do yeah. that. Uh, and, and uh, you know, if you're missing Conan, you can go back and find some. I really, I really thought party. that like uh, Tim had like gotten kind of pissed off, or like I don't know, like that we had terrorized him because as soon as the after party was over, like Tim got off, like, and and it was after the thing with Ravana being like, we should burn down the Supreme Court, and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe we scared this guy off. <laughs> now, uh, Conan's not here, but uh, he is uh, out on tour. So if you are actually wanting more Conan in your life, a um, couple things you can do. Uh, he just put out a new uh, music video, which I worked on. So the visuals, that's me. Um, I did all the digital backgrounds and stuff. It, it looks great. Uh, I'm super happy how it came out, but Conan directed it. Uh, and uh, it, it's uh, for the uh, for, for Cry Bully. So go check that out. Um, if you wanted to check out his podcast, Protonic Reversal, you can do that as well. Um, go back into the archives. There's some great episodes. I'm going to recommend to you to go check out episode 266, Billy Gold of Faith No More. Uh, you know, great interview there. So go check that out. I love Faith No More. Probably my favorite metal band. Uh, so there you go. By the way, uh, it wasn't it wasn't Conan that directed it. It was Mark Borchardt. Uh, you know, no, no, that's a different one. Oh, really? Because he he just he just shared this one. Wait, All right. Bullies? Well, then he has other ones yeah. coming out with Mark. Barstow yeah, he does have another one with Mark uh, directing. Uh, this right. is the one Conan directed, and I, I worked on it uh, too. So yeah, you can see the little Chiron. Yep, right there in the, in the background. The the uh, the Neutron News Network. <laughs> um, I guess uh, Ghetto Blaster Magazine is where the um, they they did the uh, article about with with the uh, with his. Uh, list of of tour dates too yes which i was going to get to uh but but you can see it right there uh if you can't read that it's uh tempe arizona la san francisco sacramento reno eugene portland bellingham and seattle uh which uh i know um some people on screen uh and by some people i just mean one uh <laughs> you know it's near one of those places so you know if you uh can check it out go go say hi tell, tell them i sent you um there you go. Uh, you know, also, um, yeah, Adult Prompts, the new album that uh, that video is for. So, uh, you know, you can order that now. Uh, it will come in whenever, it, you know, he gets back. Unless you get it digitally, you know, then you get it instantly. But, you know, that's how it works. Uh, and, uh, uh, of course, you know, go to his Patreon, a dollar a month that supports his podcast. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, you, get the, you get episodes early. So when he's back. Boom, it's going to be there before before everybody else gets it. So check that out. Christina, you're you're back on Twitch. Yeah, and then I'm cat sitting again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to try to like stream between cuz for people living in bougie gated communities, they don't have internet or cell reception. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, it's weird. 
makes no sense at all. But whatever. You know, they're trying to avoid that woman that's like, arms, arms, for a beautiful. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love the Berkshires. Trust me on this. It's probably <laughs> purge related. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, you don't want people posting your assassination coordinates. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, I, I did a 15 a 15 hour subathon on Sunday and my back is paying the price for it. I did I wore my Barbie cosplay, which was a lot of fun. And I, I gained 70 subscribers in 15 hours. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. And then my birthday's next Wednesday, so yay. Happy birthday. Happy, yeah. happy almost birthday. We're also gonna be on uh Dan Dan from the Internet show on Thursday. Yeah. Uh he's coming down for the party, and I think the letter hack Matt's coming down too. Oh, nice. He lives like an hour away from me, so like I'm bullying yeah. him to come. Oh hell yeah. Yeah, make that happen. Nice. Yeah. And uh, uh of course, uh, you know, you have your Patreon as well. Which mm -hmm. uh, you know helps helps out Christina pay her bills, pay her internet. Yes. Um, you know, gets gets her by when she has a between pet sitting gigs. Yeah, and... that's all I do now. <laughs> but yeah, to, you know, definitely definitely support her if you can. Um, KT, you got you got some stuff going on too, uh, right? You got uh, the Starwell Foundation season two. Yeah, season two, episode two has also dropped, and I am in episode two, both of my characters. So get on. Get on over there, listen to that. It's a really fun, they're kind of like 25 minute long, kind of like old school teleradio play. Uh, you know, again, the, the quick premise is that uh, this is a world in which superheroes exist. And this, our main character works for a foundation that normally helps get uh, sick children meetings with superheroes, except sick children are now wanting to meet supervillains. And our main character's job is to facilitate that. Some fun stuff. Yeah, so that's where opinions may vary. Is opinions the, uh, may vary, yep. Yeah, that's where you can find it. And uh, yeah, go there, subscribe. And of mm -hmm. course, check out uh, Girl in the Basement on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Good Halloween movie if you're looking for a short movie to watch. Uh, you know, this month for our on theme kind of creepiness, more cannibalism. Get yeah. on that. 30 minutes long. So it's not like, you know, you're wasting, you know, you, you don't have to invest a lot of time into it. It's a fun. You're definitely not wasting time. No, it's a fun, quick romp. Yes. In a stress film. Enjoy. In a basement. Yes. In a basement. In a basement. It's an yeah. allegory for anorexia. You're going to be upset. Mm. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, remember I invited you over to my basement to film the first time you ever came on. So I know, man, that was, that's why I came with another person. Yes. Well, he invited you. It was all his fault anyway. He invited me because he's like, I have to go into some guy's basement. And I was like, well, you know me in basements. Let's do it. <laughs> and, he's uh, like, I don't want to be guy in the basement, you know? <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I mean, I knew Jared for a while. So so yeah. that's cool. Um, but Tim, you're doing some stuff with uh, Knee Plus Jazz Orchestra. Did I say that right? Yeah, Knee Plus Ultra Jazz Orchestra. Um in Vancouver, Washington next week at the Providence Academy, 7 p.m. And then, let me see, two two weekends after that, uh, the Friday, I don't remember which one it is. I guess it's like the 16th or somewhere in that. I have it written down as the 6th in Vancouver and the 20th in Portland. There we go, 20th in Portland at um, the Village Ballroom, also 7 p.m. And uh, Mendelssohn's, um, Mendelssohn's Bar on Mississippi in Portland, Oregon. There's like a 
I do opera oki and musical theater karaoke. And so like next week, Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., um, I'll be singing a little set in there. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, check that out. And uh, of course, uh, you have any plays coming up that you're working on? Um, nothing currently. Yeah, because you just wrapped something, right? I, I'm trying to remember what it is that I didn't write it down, so. Oh yeah, um, in the summer I finished uh, Amelie the musical. So have you ever heard do a review of Amelie, the the movie from early 2000s? Um, yeah. I'd be happy to jump back in and tell about like, kind of the musical version with the movie. Oh, that's like I fun. I yeah. Did a, I didn't know that they did a musical version. Yeah, me neither. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I I only know because you know I'm friends with you on Facebook and I saw that. Oh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's funny though. Uh, the same director that did Amelie did um uh yeah, like Tessin. Yeah. Yeah. the movie. So, that so it's, kind all, of, it's all coming kind of together, connected, folks. It's all connected. <laughs> kind of yeah. like a weird version of French futuristic Sweeney Todd. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and uh, of course, uh, you know, if you need more Tim in your life, uh, go check out his uh, TED Talk, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Which and I have I in the show notes. Yes. Yeah, go, go right down there. there. Find the link. Watch it when we're done. Thank you. But uh, and, uh, Oh, one yeah. more thing. I yeah. have a book that just came out this week. Well, I didn't write the book. I just did the cover. It's the follow-up to Michael Brooks Against the Web. It's uh, uh, How to Cosmopolitan Socialism, a tribute to Michael Brooks by um uh matt mcmanus and uh, i did the cover for that so uh you know order that now uh yeah go for it <laughs> all right it. now take it away for us I, I said now do it do it do it now um, <laughs> but tim you have any uh final thoughts on this uh on the movie i i thought it was a great adaptation i thought it was great singing it was like such a yeah it was really a great watch it's a it's a very straightforward adaptation, I think. Like in some ways, yeah. Like uh, if if it wasn't you that we're having on that like knows the stage play, like I don't know how much there would even be to say about <laughs> the movie itself. You know what I mean? It's like a it's a pretty straight. I mean, besides what they cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they made judicious cuts that it all they all made sense. Like you didn't lose any of the major plot points. You just like only a little bit of details and shading. So, yeah. It it is it, it's interesting that uh Sondheim's able to out grotesque uh Tim Burton though like Tim Burton's work is pretty family like family friendly like this is one of the few rated R movies I think I can think of that Tim Burton did I mean Sleepy Hollow I guess but yeah mm -hmm. yeah but uh Christina yeah so I saw this in the theater and absolutely loved it I was so excited when I heard Sweeney Todd was gonna be adapted into a movie this is how you adapt outside of Chicago, probably. This is how, in modern uh, movie musicals, is how you adapt something from stage to screen. Phenomenal casting, despite everyone being from Harry Potter. Um, great direction. <laughs> um, phenomenal, uh, like, the aesthetics of, of the movies, exactly what I was hoping for. This movie has aged very well, considering it's from a time almost like a timeless masterpiece that's kind of been interpreted in different ways on stage um i don't think it should be ever remade or you know redone uh i know like they redid west side story which made no sense to me uh, but i think the revival's still going on right now on, on broadway i believe 
if you if you have the money, go see it because it's it's I've heard so many good things about it. And again, this is my favorite movie musical adaptation of all time. If you are looking for something to watch that's musical but kind of gory, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Farmer of Fleet Street is it. Yeah, musical with blood. Yeah. <laughs> um, Andy, final thoughts? I, I know uh, this came out like right between uh, Reefer Madness, the musical, and uh, uh, which which is a blast, by the way. They eat a baby mm -hmm. in it. It's great. And yep. uh, and of course, um, uh, Repo, the genetic opera, which which uh, Repo, way more bloodier. You know, there's like internal organs going everywhere. Paris Hilton's face falls off. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's 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 great. But this this I skipped because like you know how can it compare to eating a baby and Paris Hilton's face falling off? Uh, and uh, to be honest with you, I didn't watch it until today. Um, which uh, <laughs> there you go. But but like I, I was also feeling kind of burnt out because this was also like uh, after Big Fish. I don't think uh, like Tim Burton movies just weren't speaking to me as they were coming out, and I felt like yeah. you know I, I've seen them all before. So uh, I'm actually glad that uh, I. Uh, you know, got to see this. Uh, I wanted because I knew Christina has been wanting to do this forever, and uh, so so uh, and this is actually a fantastic adaptation, and it does slot nicely between Reefer Madness and um, Repo the Genetic Opera. So there you go. Who knows? It, this feels, it feels like one of the last um, like good Tim Burton movies, right? Like then Dark Shadows happened and it went downhill from there. Well, because like I mean, I guess Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which fucking sucked, came out two years yeah. before this. But like, it, it actually got a lot of good reviews because everyone was like, "Yeah, this collaboration is awesome. Yeah, this is closer mm -hmm. to the book. This is great." And then it's it kind of like in recent years, everyone's like, Eey. "I was just like, why is, Johnny Depp playing, no, why is Johnny Depp playing Michael Jackson?" Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that he's trying to go in a different direction and not remake uh, the Gene Wilder film. Like, I get yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, but, but like you know book. it just every decision just seemed like it was the wrong decision um yeah uh, i know you my, my chose, kid actually watched it with me because they, they they wanted the they loved the uh the other one they're just like i'm just just curious i have to see how bad this is so we watched it like yeah this is bad yeah. and we never discussed it again Mm -hmm. <laughs> much like your trip to the neverland ranch you never discussed it again true uh <laughs> katie you know i i absolutely agree with you andy like i avoided this because i somebody in the chats pointed this out there gets to be this point where jim burton kind of feels like he's lost in between guillermo del toro and terry gilliam and it's just so precious that you feel like you, you're gonna know exactly what it looks like before you even watch it. So you feel like, why bother? There's so many other things I could watch. So I missed this on the way through. Um, and you know what? It went down really easy. And I'm I'm not a Sondheim kind of musical person. I'm way more of a like pop musical, Alan Menken, Little Shop of Horrors. But there is a place where this kind of overlaps that. And, and you know, if you've been missing it, it's October. Put it on, you know, watch episode one, episode six of season one of Great British Bake Off. You'll find out how to make the meat pies, make a meat pie, watch this movie and just have a good warm fall Saturday. It, you know, it's two and a half hours and it really, it really goes down well for that length. There's also a binging with Babouche, like that channel that does those, that teaches you how to make stuff. Uh, they also do an episode on the meat pies. 
<laughs> but uh yeah. so yeah so kick back have a meat pie and we'll see you next week